Hello and welcome to episode 140 of the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. Happy Sam and Maniversary. <laughs> I am one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm uh, Manny Manuel. We are celebrating three glorious years working on this podcast together. Manny, are you as excited as I am? You have no idea. And before we continue, Sam, I want to take this opportunity to thank you. To thank you for going on this trip with me, for taking this chance with me. We tell the story from time to time about how I took you out for dinner to seduce you into my little web of uh, nerdiness here to uh, take this chance on this podcast. I honestly can't express my gratitude enough uh, about doing this every week with you. It means the world to me to do this podcast. Uh, I am so grateful that you have been along for this ride, and despite us uh, moving away from one another, you have been just as dedicated and has never wavered uh, in doing this little fun passion project of ours. I look forward to it every week, and like I've said numerous times, outside of the time I spend with my daughter, this is what I look forward to the most each week. So from the bottom of my heart, I thank you, Sam for providing such an incredible amount of pleasure and joy and fun into my life. Oh man, that is, that means a lot. And right back at you, you know, it, it really is funny that this all started with a grown man who is essentially a stranger <laughs> to me, 20 years, my senior asking me out to a steak dinner. That's, that's how this adventure all began. <laughs> and it, uh, it's only, only grown since then. So I, uh, I, I thank you for including me in this. I thank you for, let's be honest, being the hardworking one here and <laughs> being the one who makes shit happen. Uh, and, uh, and thanks for continuing. And here's to another excellent year. We had a lot of fun. I feel like three years into this thing, I we are still figuring it out. We are still working out kinks, but I also feel like we're always getting stronger. We're always getting better. I there's a lot more times nowadays where I'm like, man, that was a really good episode or man, that one just felt really good. And we're just like, we're really nailing down the format. We're really nailing down a bunch of different things. So, uh, feels really good. And, uh, I got no plans to stop anytime soon. Sweet. Good. Cause neither do I. Yeah. It's funny. Actually today I was listening to a very old episode of ours. Hold on. I'm going to get the exact episode number. Um, I, I might've been listening to the same one. If you were trying to find the same thing. No, you definitely, you definitely weren't. Okay. I was listening to episode number 38. Oh. Die Hard. Oh, wow. That's that's our that's our first Christmas episode, that I That was believe? our first Christmas episode. Yeah. And there's a lot of pausing and umming and unsure on where we're going to go next in the discussion. Mm-hmm. I feel that we've definitely improved. And now I'm scared to listen to some of the other much older ones than that. But yeah, I was I was listening to one from that era a little bit later, probably only just about a month after that. Um, it, it was it was because it well you you must know I was doing research for the other episode we're recording tonight, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was listening back to that episode. I don't want to spoil what that was, but I was listening to that one, and yeah, it was the same thing. A lot of umming and eyeing and uh, not quite sure what to say. So I think we've we've come a decent way. We were not perfect, and we still leave this thing raw and unedited. 140 weeks later, <laughs> <laughs> we still leave in all the ums and ahs. But hey, it's authentic. It's real, and it uh, feels good every time. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, it's been an absolute fucking joy to do this with you. It it brings me nothing but pleasure. And not once do I 
dread doing this. Not once do I ever not look forward to even the minuscule, boring aspects of doing the editing and uploading to the website, all that. It, this is just a, a fucking treasure trove of fun for me. I almost echo that entirely, except there have, there have even been weeks where I show up uh, just have having just, just having a terrible week. There, there was one I think a couple of months ago in December where I was just not in a mind space to record an episode. I was just dealing with all sorts of nonsense outside of work, and you being my friend could tell that. And you were like, you know what? Let's just let's just skip the episode. <laughs> let's just push it back a week. I wanted to uphold this obligation so badly because I know this podcast means to you exactly what it means to me. It's uh, it's a very important part of my week. It's the be- best part of my week usually. Uh, so, so having that, uh, I always respect that you also know when to, when to cut me a little slack. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. So, uh, on that note, uh, here's to another good year and, uh, Manny, Let's get things going. If people want to find us on social media, where can they do that? They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. They can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com, which is funny. I never check that email until I talk about it right now. As soon as I always say our email address, I'm like, shit, forgot to check it. And I always check it right after. Uh, Do we ever get anything? Uh... We have never received an email from a – oh, I shouldn't say never. We've received a couple emails from listeners by request, mm-hmm. like when I've asked for – like when we did our mailbag episode. Yeah. I had a couple questions through email. Uh, the only things that we've gotten through email were those two movie review requests that we got from those lesser-known studios. Right. Which I – again, if I checked them – if I would check the email regularly, we would get them in time where we could probably actually do those episodes. <laughs> have be... we ever have we ever talked about that on air? By the way, how movie studios have actually sent us uh, like screen or sent us requests to review their films? Like, uh, no, we haven't. Because that that's a, that's a real life thing that has happened to us on two occasions. I think two occasions. Yes, this rinky dink little podcast, which basically just has our friends listening to it. Yes. Uh, has been requested to have us review films uh, like fresh out of the bag for free. Yes, but for people listening going, thinking it's a huge deal, please. No, these are small-time films that are most likely terrible. Yes, they are. We've, I've ma- Did I make you watch? I know I made you watch a trailer for one of them. I can't remember if I made you watch a trailer for the other one. One of them looked terrible. I can't. Rem- I can't remember they either. Both They're both pretty forgettable. They both look fucking terrible. They're movies nobody's ever heard of. They've. N- they would not be. They've never been in theaters. I should look them up at one point to see if they actually did get a theatrical release. But it's still. It's, it was still an honor to be asked. And maybe if we should actually start doing them, and I should check our emails uh, more regularly. So when we get requests like that, we can actually do it. My my biggest concern with doing movies like that is I would feel weird doing giving anything less than my authentic opinion. And I feel like giving your authentic opinion about a movie like that that's trying to reach out to us to get hype is not a good way to get movie studios to continue to want to work with you, if that makes any sort of sense. Like I would I would not hold back if the movie was terrible, I would say as much. So I, I don't know if 
that would be kosher. I don't know if not, but maybe something for us to look into next time we get a request. No, definitely. Next time we get a request, um, I'm gonna I'm going to definitely check this more often to make sure that we are. Yeah. No. You, are you, you scrolling back in our email right now? I'm looking back at them. You've you've seen both. Mm. You've seen both trailers. Um, and uh, as a quick refresher, uh, we did get one email from a fan who then became a guest, and that's Wes Miniker. Oh, did he email us? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I knew that uh, you talked to him. Uh, he, he is on your route, is he not? Yes. Yeah. So you, you talked to him in person also. Yes. But he, uh, but he also emailed. Yeah. Hey, Wes. How you doing? Um, I have one more order of housekeeping yeah. uh, that we didn't talk about before, but I think is very important. And it's related to this thing sitting on my head right now. Oh, yes. You know yeah, what? Need... I, you should um, – why don't you say what it is, and then mm -hmm. I'm going to – I'm going to text you something while you explain it. Okay, for sure. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess beginning of 2021, uh, Jordan – my my roommate and my friend offered uh, both Manny and myself a gift. Uh, a gift. She has been a guest on the podcast, I think, three or four times now. She's been on an awful lot. Uh, last one she talked about, I think, was uh, Harry Potter and the Half Blood. No, not Half Blood Prince. Uh, Definitely Hollows Part Two. And she was also on Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And before that, Toy Story Four. She's been on at least like four or five times. So anyway, she is a fan of the show also, and she reached out to Manny and I, and completely of her own accord, gave us uh, Sam and Manny versary gifts. Yes. Uh, she gave us both uh, a couple of custom embroidered hats, which I'm currently wearing on my head, uh, w which contains our logo on uh, on Spotify and iTunes, the, the, the logo we use on everything. I don't even know where that logo came from, Manny. I stole it. <laughs> yeah, I have to imagine. <laughs> which... Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, I... Uh... I should. Oh no. Um. I'm. Uh. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you can tell me after. I do, and I definitely want to tell you after. So I need to. I'm gonna quickly write a note at the end of the second episode stuff. Okay, for sure. Keep going. Keep going. But regardless, uh, Jordan uh, completely surprised both of us with this gift. She made us these awesome custom embroidered hats with our own logo on it. I'm wearing it right now. It's excellent. Actually, as a matter of fact. As a uh, cart, as a former employee of uh, Lids, I, I need to peel off this sticker, so I'm gonna officially christen this hat. I don't know if this is gonna show up on the mic, but oh my god, that was sounded really loud. <laughs> oh. <laughs> as the sound of the sticker coming off this hat, officially christening it, it is added to the collection, and uh, it's it such a nice gift. When she when she gave it, she <laughs> the way she did it, she told me she wanted to talk to both of us before I started recording one night and I brought you out into the living room on my laptop and I had no fucking clue what was happening. And she just brought out this gift bag and uh, had, had two hats and she wound up shipping one to you. Manny just went and uh, grabbed his and put it on his head. Uh, it's not currently fitting over his headphones, <laughs> but uh, he's wearing it. So uh, big, big shout out to Jordan for uh, a really, really thoughtful gift and some, some that we're wearing right now. Or at least I am. Should I, Man, Chris, sh should I christen my hat too? You should absolutely christen. I, I think it was a very crisp sound of the sticker being removed. Okay, hold on. Here we go. Oh, 
Here we go. <sighs> nice. Oh, wait. There's a little bit of a hesitation in there. There's a little bit of a tease. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> oh, there he goes. Yeah, now he's putting it on. And headphones over top? Yeah, that's a better system. You were trying to put them over top of the headphones before. Yeah, there we go. Is that better? Yeah, that works. This is a little tight. I got to fix this. Hold on. You got to vamp because I won't have my earphones on. We, we, we maybe should have established this before. <laughs> Manny is currently fucking around with the buckle trying to get it to be just the right size. And we're going to leave all this in because we can't afford an editor. I have no idea what he's saying right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I could take this opportunity to talk shit about Manny and all of his all of his movie taste, but I won't do that because I have a lot of respect for him. And he's got his headphones back in. Manny, I just talked so much shit about you. You have no idea. Probably. the worst. <laughs> I literally have no idea what he was saying there. I feel like my hat's crooked. Is my hat crooked? I mean, probably. That's all right. all right. Does that feel a lot better? Yeah, I just had to loosen it. It was just a little too tight on there. Should have christened these before. Definitely. But it's all good. I, it's 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 too loose than what I would normally wear, but it's it's it it'll work better. It'll work better. So, with no further ado, Manny, what have you been up to this week as far as movie watching? I got uh, three of the 2020 films I wanted to watch. Uh, I got them done, and I watched two older films. Let's start with one I watched recently, uh, 1992. Oh, it's listed as a comedy crime drama. Interesting. Uh, this is a, a really fun movie that I would actually recommend if you're ever looking for something fun and light to do, it's called Sneakers. Um, it stars Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Sidney Poitier, Ben Kingsley, River Phoenix, David Strathairn, and uh, and Mary McDonnell. It's, uh, uh, the plot is a security pro finds his past coming back to haunt him when he and his unique team are tasked with retrieving a particularly important item. It's a really fun movie that is highlighted by incredible chemistry amongst the cast. It's kind of like a heist movie. It's really led by Robert Redford's charisma and charm and really lifted up by uh, Sidney Poitier. And and David Strathairn uh, is really great. He's actually really funny in this movie, which I know is probably weird for people to hear. But it's it was a it's a lot of fun. I've always liked this movie Sneakers, and I put it on the other night because I needed something kind of light uh, and fun to watch. And so Sneakers it was. I gave it a three out of five. Awesome. I was barely listening to that entire thing because I was responding to that message you sent me. <laughs> it's all good. Next up, I decided to revisit an older movie that I fucking loved when I was younger. I'm about. Mm. let's go 90% sure I saw this in the theaters in 1989 and I wanted to rewatch it and it didn't hold up at all and that is the incredibly well-known film but probably not well seen and it's the movie everybody knows the plot of but probably has never watched and that's Weekend at Bernie's. Yeah, I'm surprised how many references to this there are in pop culture. Yes. Like they're, they're, I've seen this referenced in in Friends and The Office, two of the most popular sitcoms of all time, and just like countless other shows, I feel like. And I've never seen it. 
yeah, it it's uh Sam don't see it. It it doesn't hold up. It did have a couple funny laughs. The it has a meta score of 32, Sam. So already at the time was not super well reviewed. Yeah. But I would love to if there's like a making of documentary, I should I should search it out because the actor Terry Kaiser plays the titular Bernie. Uh, for those of you that are, that have never heard of Weekend at Bernie's, uh, two losers try to pretend that their murdered employer is really alive, leading the hitman to attempt to track him down to finish him off. Basically, it's these two guys, their boss gets murdered. And they pretend that he's still alive, and all these fucking rich yuppies believe that he's still alive. They hook him up to fishing lines to move his hands. They tie his legs to their legs, and they do like a three-legged race kind of thing. Like it's the idea, and some of the tricks they do are fun. What's fun is knowing that in real life. Terry Kaiser is in those scenes. Now, there's times that obviously they're using a stuntman or a dummy because this body gets thrown through the ringer. But other times, especially like when when you can see that it's Terry Kaiser in the scene and he has to play this dead body, it's impressive that this man doesn't move. He His eyes don't flutter. He doesn't blink. His body doesn't move. So there's kind of like, as much as it kind of weirds me out to say, there's some kind of impressive physical acting in this movie from him. Not enough where I would give him an award, but it's kind of impressive at the same time. But I remember dying in the theater when I saw this movie. Uh, There was no such moments of uh, dying laughter this time around. I was happy to rewatch it. This did garner enough popularity to gain a sequel. I think I do want to watch the sequel to see if it got funnier. But yeah, this was, it was kind of a letdown. Uh, this got a 2 out of 5 for me. Yeah, I have not heard this movie brought up in a context that is not joking about how terrible it is. I... <laughs> There's, I can't remember what the first movie is. It's referenced in Friends when uh, they're playing this like quiz game show. And the first question is, what does Rachel claim her favorite movie is? And I I can't remember what the answer is. And then the second question is, what's her actual favorite movie? And the answer is Weekend at Bernie's. And it's like this big embarrassing thing. That might be one of my, that's in my top five favorite Friends episode is that that quiz show episode. That's one of the absolute best ones. I've always thought doing that with your group of friends would be so fun. I agree. So, so, so fun. It would be a ton of fun. (laughs) Okay, so Weekend at Bernie's, skip it. Will Uh, do. Next up, I watched... The latest Tom Hanks movie, News of the World. Uh, it's a Western. Uh, the plot, a Civil War veteran agrees to deliver a girl taken by the Kiowa people years ago to her aunt and uncle against her will. They travel hundreds of miles and face grave dangers as they search for a place that either can call home. 
This is directed by Paul Greengrass, who did uh, two of the Bourne movies, as well as United 93, and I think he did something. He must. I think he did something else I liked. I know that he did July 22nd, but I can't think. Uh, the Green Zone, right, another Matt, Matt Damon movie. Uh, watching this, you can tell this was made for the movie theaters. It has some incredibly gorgeous wide shots that would look amazing on the big screen. And it's a solid, yet again, solid Tom Hanks performance. Oh, Paul Greengrass also did Captain Phillips. That's what I was thinking of. Ah, uh, yes. How can I forget? It's another solid performance by Tom Hanks. Not award-worthy, but solid. It has a couple really great set pieces. The performances and the chemistry between uh, Tom Hanks and the little girl whose name is Helena Zengel uh, is very good. It's a, a, a very decent child performance. But I just found myself... The movie tends, tends to meander at times. It's a little bit longer than it needs to be. It's definitely fine. It's a premium rental right now, so it's like 25 bucks to rent. Hate that. Not worth that price. So when it hits a streamer, or if you see this for rent for like five bucks, it's it's worth a watch. It's a kind of movie that you can just kind of relax with on a nice relaxing night. You're not gonna. I don't think anybody's gonna be blown away. But on this, on the flip side, I don't think anybody's gonna hate it. It's a perfectly fine middle of the road Tom Hanks movie. Hmm. And. Uh... Did you already announce your ranking for it? No, that's for a three. It? That's a three. Yeah, sounds like kind of a middle-of-the-road thing. Real shame. Anything less than a four stars for for a Tom Hanks movie feels like kind of a letdown, <laughs> at least for me. But, yeah, I mean, everybody makes lukewarm movies. Everybody who makes movies, that is. Yeah. Except for our good friend Dan Lewis. I was just about to say that. <laughs> uh, okay. Next up are two movies that I really want to talk to with Sam. But they're two movies I don't want to have spoiled for those that are interested in seeing it. So the first movie that I'm going to talk about with Sam is Pieces of a Woman. This, which, I'm Sam, you have seen? Uh, so you said Pieces of a Woman, right? Pieces of a Woman. Okay, I, I definitely got this confused with another movie in the group chat earlier this week. You certainly uh, did, which I quickly corrected you on. <laughs> yes, as as would be expected. But uh, yes, I have seen Pieces of a Woman. Okay, so we're going to start with Pieces of a Woman, and we're going to finish with Promising Young Woman, which, which is what I got it confused for. <laughs> which is what you've seen as well. Yes, correct. I've, I watched both these this week, actually. Okay, so we're going to start with Pieces of a Woman. We are going to spoil Pieces of a Woman. I would say you probably if you're not if you don't want Pieces of Woman's um, spoiled, and I can tell you right now, this is a movie you should definitely watch. Absolutely worth checking out. I can tell you right now. I'll tell you my score now. It's a four out of five. I gave it a four as well. Uh, worth noting here, uh, if you are the kind of person who just does not like depressing movies, you think movies should exist to <laughs> lift you up and make you happy and go, wow, I really enjoyed that. I'm going to go for a jog or something like that, whatever happy people do. Uh, you should not watch Pieces of a Woman. It's very upsetting at times. Yes. It's incredibly well made and a, a remarkable piece of cinema at times, which we'll touch on, uh, but it is upsetting. 
I would say give us about five minutes. And in fact, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if you haven't seen Promising Young Woman, you might want to skip ahead about 10 to 15 minutes between Pieces of Woman and Promising Young Woman right now. Promising Young Woman, I can also tell you right now, is highly recommended. Let's go to Pieces of Woman. Spoilers for Pieces of Woman. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Sam, this movie is gorgeous. It is exquisitely shot. Your initial thought of what we were talking about, Promising Young Woman, uh, the opening scene, uh, I agree, for Pieces of Woman is fantastic. The one, the oneer. Yeah, and, the 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 birth scene right at the beginning of the movie is uh, spectacular. Uh, how how long would you say the scene goes on for? Twenty. Yeah, it's about a twenty-minute scene, and it's F- a. 15... It looks like it's a false oneer. Like it pans behind some walls at one at some point, so it's shot to make it look like it's a it's a oneer. But there's yeah. at least a couple of cuts in there. Still, it's, it's spectacular. Yeah, there's a couple hidden cuts in there for sure. Doesn't matter. It looks amazing. It's done so well. Uh, Vanessa Kirby gives a powerhouse performance. We are going to be talking about Shia LaBeouf. I know that he has some serious allegations made against him. I know that he's most likely been canceled, but sorry. He made this film prior to those allegations, and we're going to talk about him. He's not. Mm. He's an artist who made some art. And while his outside of his art making, he's done some really shitty things. I'm sorry to say, inside this art, he's actually spectacular. Yeah, he's uh, he really elevates this movie as well. I think this is Vanessa Kirby's movie. She really does a lot of fantastic work in it. Uh, but Shia LaBeouf uh, does some great things as well. I think my enjoyment of his performance is a little bit hampered, not by my perception of Shia LaBeouf as a person, but uh, the character actually becomes a little less likable as we go along. Um, and not, not that if you went through, if you went through what this man went through, I am not saying that I would be the most pleasant person of all time either. Uh, I'm just saying he, he does some pretty shitty things uh, in this movie. And it, he goes from being likable to being very disappointing. Let's, yes. Let's say, but not even in a, in a way that hampers the movie. It just, it's just disappointing to see. It is. And, that's one of the reasons that this movie is so good is they don't pull any punches. Now, you know what? Because, well, like, Sam, you're one of my closest friends. This is a podcast. It's a safe space. I have no problem sharing this because it's not something I'm ashamed of. This movie for me was very hard to watch because, and I won't share who, but I have actually lost two children. I didn't lose it in the same fashion of Vanessa Kirby's character who lost it during childbirth, but I've been with two women who had miscarriages a little bit further along in a pregnancy than what you want. And I can tell you right now, Sam, it is a pain I will never wish upon my worst enemy. It is one of the worst things I've ever had to go through, and that was me as a man saying that. So trying to help my partners through it at the time was incredibly difficult. I couldn't imagine what they were feeling, but I tried my best to help them deal with it as well. And so watching this movie was really hard for me. It brought back a lot of feelings I had, and it's one of the reasons that this movie really resonated with me. That being said, Vanessa Kirby is fucking spectacular 
in this movie. Her mom, played by Ellen Burstyn, spectacular in this movie. This movie is fucking a fucking tour de force film that I, I just think that everybody should definitely get a chance to watch with the caveat knowing that this is not going to be an enjoyable movie night. It's going to be hard and difficult and make you see and feel things that you might not be ready for. And for someone like myself, was a little triggering. Mm. It was so great to see such serious subject matter tackled well and realistically. It was... It, this movie was everything I wanted it to be and more. I, I fucking loved this movie. Yeah, well, first of all, let me just start by saying I don't know if I knew that about you. Uh, so I'm I'm horribly sorry that you had to go through that. I know that's not what you're fishing for. You're not that kind of person. But nonetheless, that is uh, that, that's I, I would not wish that on my worst enemy either as somebody who has not gone through that, uh, let alone one of my closest friends. Um the acting, the performances in this movie really elevate it. We already talked about the two leads, but yes, Ellen Burns, is it Ellen Bernston? Ellen Bernston, yeah. Ellen Bernston, who is in another one of the most depressing movies ever made, <laughs> uh, Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> um, she, uh, she is excellent. She plays kind of a horrible person, but not somebody who is just horrible for the sake of being horrible. She does. She has a pretty good monologue in the back half of this movie uh, that explains her thought process of why she says and does the things that she says and does. Um, so her character is very believable. The characters are all exceptionally written. It's gorgeously shot. Um, I think the highlight of the film is the first 20 minutes uh, and the ending. The ending oh. also uh, really tugged at my heartstrings. I, I like when <laughs> I think when you make a movie this upsetting, this triggering, this uh, this depressing, it I feel like it needs to end with a glimmer of hope. It, it maybe saying it needs to is a little bit strong, but I really prefer these sorts of movies to leave you with just the tiniest bit of hope. I found myself comparing it to Manchester by the sea for a few, uh, from a few years ago, mm. a movie that I really enjoyed. Um, that also had a problematic male actor in it, mm. <laughs> um, that also involved, uh, the death of some children. Um, it was just a really, upsetting movie a movie that affected me deeply emotionally and kind of ends with just the smallest bit of hope it no, nothing is all right in the end of pieces of a woman nothing is fine the the baby is still dead these people are still gutted but they're learning to open up again and they're and they're at least trying to be okay they never they never quite will be the same which is a theme we'll we'll touch on uh, when we get to the movie we're going to talk talk about today. But they're but they're getting better, uh, and I, I loved that about the ending. It, it's treated very tastefully, and it does not minimize the grief that these people are going through in any sort of way. Totally, this is an absolutely fantastic film that I would I, I, that comes highly recommended by me. I I fucking love this movie. I didn't. I was pretty sure I was going to like it because going into it, the reviews. Were, or, or the things I heard was actually pretty good. Now looking at it, I'm kind of shocked. It only got a 66 Metascore. That's disgustingly low for me. Yeah, um, me too. This, this movie really affected me. And despite its very personal subject matter, uh, it's one that I will probably revisit. 
I really, I really enjoyed this movie. And like you said, like Ellen Burstyn is really great. That speech she gives near the end at the dinner. Yeah, that that is one of the most uncomfortable dinners of all time. Yeah, but that that scene that that scene between her and Vanessa Kirby would probably be my second favorite scene because the op- the opening birth scene is it's so exquisitely shot. I don't know if you noticed I don't know this director. His name's Cornell Mandruso, Mandruso. No idea who he is. Uh, he's Never actually, heard of it. Yeah, he's he's done a lot of other films. I was actually I won't lie, I was actually surprised to see that this was directed by a man. And yeah. I don't know if you found it, but I found the the camera movement to be really soft and elegant. It mm. did move around a lot. It liked to move through the rooms and around people and stuff. I found it I just found it so comforting, especially in that opening scene. And especially at the end with the apple tree. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of handhelds. Yes, you know, a lot, lot of handheld shots give it a very very personal touch. And by the way, I just want to say about the the false one take scene as well that it's not just it's easy to just I shouldn't say it's easy to shoot a scene like that. It's one thing to just decide you want to shoot a scene like that. It's another for it to make sense. The mm-hmm. the real time panic that that scene manages to convey is something I don't ever remember feeling in a movie. I have never even come close to having kids as I knock on wood. Uh, um, but this scene did not make me want to try ever. It, uh, it, it really did a good job of conveying a sense of slow, slow panic. There's a, a general feeling of unease at the beginning of the scene when we find out that her uh, her mid her scheduled midwife is at another birth right now, um, so she'll need to get a backup midwife, um, and that just right from the get go makes everything feel uneasy. And then we slowly ramp up the unease, and things slowly go wrong. And it's just a masterclass in writing, and that that single take feel really gives it a real time. Uh, I'm going to say the word again just because I can't think of a better one. This panic that you experience in real time, you're experiencing it with the characters, and it's really effective. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's really all I want to say about Pieces of a Woman for now. Yeah, four stars for each of us uh, yeah. worth watching. You want to touch on uh, Promising Young Woman as well? <laughs> Fuck yeah, I do. Fuck yeah, I do. Manny and I have a general sort of rule that we don't usually talk about movies outside of the podcast. We usually just save all of our discussion for uh, for the podcast itself. But we did have a little bit of discussion in in the group chat uh, that we have on Facebook uh, with all of our past and future guests. We did have a little bit of discussion about this movie just because it uh, is very idea heavy. It's probably it's one of the movies that made me think the most this year. It's one of the movies that spent the most time on my mind this year. Promising Young Woman. I'm still thinking about this movie. Mm-hmm. I fucking loved this movie, Sam. I loved this movie. This movie this movie introduced me to a writer director that I will be following. Much like when I got to see Olivia Wilde do Booksmart, uh Emerald Fennel is now someone that I'll be following because this movie is very well written and expertly directed. Is this the type of direction where I think it should get nominated? No, there are definitely some some problems 
in regards to that. But this is a filmmaker who I will be following very, very closely. And the movie uh, stars Carrie Mulligan and your boy Bo Burnham. My boy. Uh, and Alison Brie. And it's uh, the movie is a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Once again, we spent about 11 minutes on Pieces of a Woman. I would say you probably want to give us another 10 for Promising yeah. Young Woman. So spoilers for Promising Young Woman, and I can't stress this enough. Spoilers. Spoilers, for, for sure. For Promising Young Woman in 3, 2, 1, go fuck yourself. What a great year for women in film, Sam, because mm. Carrie Mulligan is spectacular in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple of moments in particular where uh, characters on screen react to acting that she's doing in the movie. She's acting drunk in several scenes yes. and then flips a switch to, to become sober. Uh, those moments, I feel like I am I am mirroring the reaction of the men in those scenes. Like, whoa, <laughs> that is a, a jarring and creepy transition, which is super effective. Yes. Much like... <laughs> Much like uh, Rachel's confusion to your uh, assertion that the opening scene of Pieces of a Woman is one of the best of the year, you thinking that we were talking about Pieces of a Woman when, yes. in fact, we're talking about Promising Young Woman, but still the opening scene of Promising Young Woman is still incredibly good, which is exactly one of the scenes that, we, that, we, that you were just discussing. Yeah, I love the uh, – I think it's the moment where she's framed on this sort of leather bench in a bar, uh, and she's she cannot sit upright. She's mm -hmm. absolutely fucking plastered, and uh, or, or so we think. Or so you and think. And she, she can't even sit upright. And the nice guy in the bar who oh, really doesn't want, to, doesn't want her to be taken advantage of by one of these other jerks, by one of these predators that you see around these parts, terrible. So he, this nice guy goes over to her and offers to give her a ride home and then invites her up to the apartment just just for a little bit because he's such a nice guy. He wants to just have a drink with her and say, mm -hmm. hey, and this is something that really stuck with me in this movie and something that I wrote actually a pretty lengthy uh, comment about in our group chat is that there's not really a central antagonist in this movie. Yes, she is seeking revenge against one man in particular, but he's really only in the movie for the last scene and he's not a driving antagonistic force in the movie. The bad guy in this movie is the nice guy, capital N, capital G. It's it's the nice guy, the guy who, who thinks because he's not physically overpowering or because he's maybe a little bit charming or he's a little bit funny and he's not one of those other jerks, he thinks that he's the good guy and that entitles him to a woman's body. That's who the villain of this movie is. And uh, it, it's something that becomes very uncomfortable at times. You grow to like a number of, characters one character in particular in this movie you grow to really like and is really charming and funny and turns out to be kind of a sleazebag uh and has done some really horrible things in his past uh, i guess since we're spoiling the movie right now i guess we I are spoiling we're spoiling spoiling we can't say this enough there are some <laughs> big spoilers some big yeah. things if you're interested in promising young woman i promise you it is a premium rental right now. It's $25. I can tell you right now, it is worth every penny of that rental. Mm -hmm. 
But if you're thinking about it, we are about to spoil this movie in a big fucking way. That's two warnings that you got for Promising Young Woman. Go ahead, Sam. I have a lot of discomfort with Bo Burnham's character in this movie. <laughs> and that is obviously intentional on the part of the writer-director, uh, Emerald Fennel. It's a fantastically written character. He's an average Joe, successful, funny, charming. Uh, and our, our, our protagonist, uh, whose name escapes me, uh, Cassandra, Cassie. Cassie. She really falls for him. And it turns out he's linked pretty strong, pretty strongly uh, to a horrific event which ended, sort of, I guess, directly ended the life of her friend who committed suicide over the fallout from it mm -hmm. and ended her career trying to take care of her friend while she was spiraling out because of it. Uh, and he had a direct hand in that happening and not doing anything when he saw it going on. As a matter of, not doing anything to stop it, as a matter of fact, he, he was the one filming, right? Or is that the case, or is he just there? I honestly don't, I don't remember the implication that he was filming. Okay, he was at the, he, he was, he was 100% room. Yeah, 100% there. He was in the room while a rape was occurring, and he didn't do anything to stop it. Yep. And the movie, rightfully so, treats this as unforgivable. Uh, but it's not something that you would get. We talked a lot, Manny, in this group chat about it being important that this was written and directed by a woman because a male director may have had the balls, unfortunately, to treat this as a forgivable thing. Yep, he would. Right? To treat yep. this as something that is to be worked through and to be moved past. And deep down, this guy really is a good guy, even though he messed up. But not Emerald Fennel. She treats this as what it is an unforgivable fuck up. A disgusting, horrible thing, which is to be punished, even for a guy who we have grown to like in this movie. And that's really uncomfortable as a viewer. It's really, really uncomfortable. And I know a lot of people online have been saying they don't like this movie because of how it treats the male characters in it, as they're all assholes and they're all they're all these unforgivable monsters. But this this is really the thing and something that I touched on in our group chat. Everybody thinks of themselves as the good guy. Everybody wants. Everybody is the protagonist in their own story in real life, and we always get to excuse things away. We always get to excuse away our own our own indiscretions and judge others for their for theirs. We we always get to forgive ourselves, and and never anybody else. And <laughs> this movie does not forgive anybody. It doesn't forgive anything that happens in this movie. And it's it's correct to it's right to. Because there's some horrible things that happen. Manny, mm -hmm. am I making any sense? Yeah, one hundred percent. You're making sense. Okay, excellent. This movie is so fucking good, and is so. I, I want. I was gonna say the word obvious, but but then that sounds like a pejorative. I was gonna say this is obviously written and directed by a woman, but it sounds like a pejorative. I, I want that to be used as a massive compliment, mm -hmm. because she throws in little things and little touches that only a woman would understand. She throws in so, so many things that just make this film better than what it would be if it was directed by a man. And the, a couple big things for me, one that was really pissing me off when it was happening was that all of a sudden, 
Cassie meets this character played by Bo Burnham, whose name I can't remember. I want to say it's Kyle, but it's not. He looks like a Kyle. Ryan. Ryan. She meets Ryan, who is charming and funny and amazing. And they have that incredible little montage in the middle of the movie, especially the scene in the pharmacy where they're Mm -hmm. singing and dancing to Paris Hilton. Which, by the way, never heard that song before. It's actually kind of fun. Hmm. Completely yeah. shitty pop song, but I was fucking, <laughs> I was fucking loving it. I was like, "Holy shit!" Your this... music taste continues to amaze me. My <laughs> music taste is fucking horrible. I will never claim otherwise. But whatever. Each their own. Yeah. I was like, "Ooh, this song's fucking fun and catchy." Great. You make scene... up for it with your taste in movies. Yes. Great scene. All this, but as it's going along, I'm starting to get angry because I'm like, "What the fuck?" I'm like. They created such a strong character, someone that had something traumatic happen to her, and she was dealing with the consequences of it, but now she's found happiness because she found a guy? I was like, I'm like, this is not what I want. And then that revelation comes along, and she is immediately, fuck this guy. Mm. And I was like, fucking A. (laughs) Then you've realized, and this is where the good part comes in, you realize that that whole time when she was with Ryan was really not her true self. Even though she was appeared to be happy, she wasn't truly happy because she has been unable and is unwilling to move on from the traumatic event that ended her friend's life. And right, like I shouldn't say rightfully so, but understandably like can't so. be blamed for it. Can't be blamed for it. Now this is where the, for me, the big divergence between what a, if a Male director had this film and what Emerald Fennel does. And again, spoiling this movie because she finds out where the man that raped her best friend is going to be. He's getting married. He's got a bachelor party. So she goes to exact her revenge. Things don't go according to plan. And she is overtaken by this character whose name escapes me. Graham? No. What's the fucking groom's name? Alfred. Al Monroe. Alfred. Al. Al. He smothers her with a pillow, and I kept waiting for her to somehow get out of this and win the day. She doesn't. She is killed. And I sat there stunned because a guy would never let his hero die. A male director will rarely ever let the hero of the film die in the movie. Especially before the climax. Yes. Or before before they get justice. Yeah. And so when he like when he got off the pillow, this is when I expected her to grab the pillow off her head, close up of her face with a fucking snarl, and she fucking gets revenge, but she doesn't. She is dead. And I was like Good for you. But how is this going to be resolved? And the result that they go with, the res- the resolution to this whole story is pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Because Cassie has carried the guilt of what happened to her friend because I can't remember the reason she didn't go with her that night, but there was a reason she didn't. Yeah. And so Cassie has been living with the guilt of what happened to her friend because she didn't go with her. And so in this attempt to get 
revenge or justice for a friend, she ended up dying as well. But in my opinion, it's what Cassie really wanted. I don't, I don't even think – she kind of reminds me of um, Guy Pierce from Memento. Uh, Lenny. Lenny. Or Leonard. Leonard. Leonard, where if – when Leonard killed his wife's murderer, mm-hmm. the amnesia, once it hits, it didn't fix him. Mm-hmm. I don't think that if Cassie had been successful in her attempt for justice on Al – I don't think that she would have been able to go to a happy life. I think yeah, her because though even even though one rape, even if she was successful in trying to kill this guy or uh, whatever it was she was trying to do, that's yes, one less rapist on the planet and the world's better off for it. But the world is still an unjust and shitty place, and I don't know if she would be happy living in it. Yeah, and so it's not that I think that she, I don't think she ever would have killed herself. No. But I don't think. But that, she never would have been happy. No, she never would have been happy, unless she went, unless she went into some serious therapy. But I don't think that she was ever. I don't think she ever was really interested in doing it. I think she, just was unable to forgive herself. And, th- this, besides the point, she still plans ahead. And wins the day. Hmm. It, I loved how she fucked everybody up in the end. I also really like there, there's one moment uh, sort of in the middle of the movie uh, when she gets recognized at a club by the friend of one of one of the men who is almost a victim of hers. A man that she almost I think it's Christopher Mintz Plast's character um, who she lets live. One of his friends is uh, is at the club, if I recall. Uh, or regardless, she gets recognized by the friends of one of her ex-victims. And I was just thinking the whole time, yeah, she keeps going back to the same places and like this, like she's going to get recognized eventually. And if she's getting recognized, like how is she not being reported? How is she not being linked to these murders? Like she just, I, I find it difficult to believe she'd be able to get away with all this. So in a way, narratively, her death kind of neatens up that problem rather nicely. Do you, do you agree? <laughs> you you've... look hesitant. My hesitation is y- you're you were going under the belief that she was killing these guys. Well, she was she was victimizing these men in some way. The 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 first guy I thought it was heavily implied that she harmed him in some way. Yeah, I got that. Well, there was that the the shot of the blood on her leg. Yeah, but she doesn't do anything to Christopher Mintz Plas. No, I, I did not think she did anything to Christopher Mintz Platt. That's why I referred to him as a would-be victim. Okay. Because I, I think she even sort of alludes to the fact she spares him because he woke her first, or, or he tried to wake her first. He didn't, as disgusting as it is to say, slip his fingers inside while she was still asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she let him live. Uh, again, you're, you, you feel that she was killing people? Well, it's never explicitly said what happened to the first person, right? Yeah, I was never. I was always just under the assumption that she, she did something to them, but mm. never murdered. Yeah, I, I thought it was implied that she was killing them, even though it's never explicitly said. Oh, I, I never. Is there is there evidence to the is there evidence to the contrary? Is there evidence to say that she did? No, okay. there's not. I, I just, that was just the implication that I got. I just oh, I want to make I, sure I'm not making a false assumption here. No, I was. I guess we just read it differently. I, yeah. I, I don't. 
I can't recall anything saying that she was killing these people. Hmm. But perhaps with the, I don't know, maybe with the ease at with which she was ready to kill Al, perhaps she was. Who knows? Yeah. I guess I need to rewatch it. Gives me an excuse to do it. Yeah, why not? Me too. Okay. <laughs> I'd happily take any excuse. We've also spent a lot longer than 15 minutes on these two movies. I think we spent about half an hour on this. We have. So we should probably wrap it up? Yeah, for sure. All right. So that's the last movie that I want to talk about, Promising Young Woman, an easy four for me. Came mm-hmm. close to and a five. me as well. Came close to a five. Sam, what are the other movies that you watched this week? Uh, so I watched five movies this week. All of them were 2020s. Two of them we've already talked about: Pieces of a Woman and Promising Young Woman. Um, so the other ones, uh, first one I'll talk about is probably the one I have the least to say about. It's The Devil All the Time. Mm-hmm. Um, here I have this pulled up somewhere. Let me just navigate to IMDb. Um, sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town, teeming with corruption and brutality. Uh, this movie was pretty good for the most part. I enjoyed myself. There were moments I liked, moments I didn't like. Um, I think the performances of Tom Holland and Robert Pattinson were standouts. Uh, I had a lot of fun with their sort of storyline. This movie, if it suffers from one thing, it's just going to be that there's too much stuff happening. There's a lot of different plot lines, a lot of different characters. There's like a serial killer couple, which they need to link up to in some way. Um, Oh, shit, I forgot about that. Right? Like, (laughs) there's uh, Tom Holland and his father's relationship, which is kind of unresolved. There's the parents of his sort of steps, his adopted adopted sister, the, the parents of them, which is not really given a terribly satisfying conclusion. Um, there, there's just a lot of stuff. It's a, it's a very confused screenplay. Uh, there's a lot of great moments in it. There's some great performances in it. I, I did enjoy Devil All the Time, but I think this movie could have really benefited from some rewrites and it could have benefited from being trimmed down. I don't have the runtime in front of me right this second. Let's see if I can find it real quick. Oh, it's gotta uh, be close no. to, it's gotta I, be close I, to two twenty. Yeah. I, I'd say, yeah, it's, it's over two hours for sure. I think if they trimmed this movie down to the, to the hour 45 hour 50 mark, I would have liked it a lot more because there's just a lot of stuff that needs to be cut out of it. Um, overall pretty good and worth a watch. Uh, devil all the time gets a three for me. I was off by two minutes. It's two eighteen. And you still got it. Uh, Devil All the Time gets a three. Next movie was one that was not on my radar even remotely. It's one that I found on Netflix. I was just uh, sitting around with Emma one night, and we were just looking for something fun to watch, something kind of light. And we came across this movie called Straight Up, which is listed as a 2019 release, but I did look into it. It only played festivals in 2019 and didn't get released until 2020, so I'm including it uh, in the 2020 movies that I've seen. Uh, it is a movie, as I navigate back to IMDb again, uh, Todd and Rory are intellectual soulmates. He might be gay. She might not care. A romantic comedy drama with a twist, a love story without the thrill of copulation. So it is a movie about when we meet our protagonist at the beginning of this movie, uh, Todd, he is under the assumption that he is gay, but he does not have gay. He does not have sex with any men. Uh, he just kind of assumes that he is gay and he realizes he doesn't really it doesn't really seem like something he wants to do and he thinks he might give women a try and he he, there's this great scene right at the beginning where he talks about how uh, he's been bullied and called called a faggot his entire life so he really just internalized that and he's kind of beginning to question his own sexuality even though everybody around him tells him that he's almost certainly gay and he he meets this girl who's the girl of his dreams um 
who he really hits it off with and they have a great rapport and uh, they enter into a relationship. But again, they kind of make the realization that neither really wants to have sex with the other. It's not something that is really important to them. So they they enter into what could be described, I guess, as an asexual relationship. I don't think that word asexual is used at any point in the movie, but that's what it is. Um, it's a movie about sexual identity and uh, it is it's a short little watch. It's only an hour thirty five. The screenplay is hilarious. There's so many good back and forths. If there's one criticism I have of this movie, it's like all the lines are being delivered on fast forward. It has this really, really rapid fire style of dialogue that you really need to be paying attention to because stuff will pass by like a flash. But if you are paying attention, there's some excellent back and forth and some really witty conversations which make it worthwhile. I'm glad that I checked it out. It only has a 66 meta score, which is respectable, but not great. Um, I gave straight up a four because I had a great time. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of great laughs. And uh, it, it it was one of the most surprising movies I've watched this year, actually, because it, it's not on my radar. haven't seen anybody talking about it at all. It's on Netflix. It's worth checking out. And it's a, it's a fun little movie. It really is. Never heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think you would have. <laughs> yeah, it's worth checking out. Manny, the movie I really want to talk about as we've already gone like an hour talking about what we've been watching, especially with Pieces of a Woman and Promising Young Woman, you recommended to me many times <laughs> to watch Palm Springs. And you said it should be one of the ones that I should prioritize highly. Uh, do, do you maybe just before I get into Palm Springs, maybe want to say why you thought I should watch it and what you sort of thought I would think about it? Okay. I'm so nervous. <laughs> Palm Springs is a movie starring Andy Samberg and an actress that I love, uh, Kristen Milotti. Now, I love Kristen Milotti because she plays the titular mother in How I Met Your Mother, which is my all-time— oh, spoilers. Eh, meh, it's not really. <laughs> it's not spoilers. <laughs> it's not spoilers. Uh, she— <laughs> I know that she was in Wolf of Wall Street, and I think she's been in a couple other things, but... She was in this episode of Black Mirror, which is horrible and oh, amazing. Okay. Uh, but she is so fucking charming on How I Met Your Mother, and I love her as an actress. And I'd heard good things about Palm Springs, and so when it finally hit, when it was finally available in Canada, because it went to Hulu which we don't have in Canada, I had to wait and wait and wait, and it finally came to Canada, I think in November or so. And I heard that the less you know about this movie before you watch it, the better. So spoilers. Please, if you haven't seen Palm Springs, I cannot say enough. I, I, I can't recommend this movie enough if you want something fun. So spoilers. Stop listening to what I'm going to say because Sam and I are probably going to spend another 15 minutes on this movie. Maybe, hopefully, Easy. who knows? Um, Andy Samberg, I'm not a huge fan of. Granted, I don't watch Brooklyn Nine Nine. I've heard great things. I just don't have time for TV shows right now. I'm focused on film, so maybe eventually. But his movies that he's done, where he's the star, haven't been the biggest fan. But in minor parts, like in uh, I Love You, Man, I think he's great. Mm -hmm. And so. I had heard so much about this movie, but I was nervous. And watching it, I was fucking blown away. This movie 
is a fucking delight. A fucking delight. It is probably the most fun I had watching a movie all year long. It was everything I wanted, and I'll be honest, probably spoilers for next week. This is going to be high up on my list. I had a fucking blast with this movie. And so the reason that I thought you would like it, Sam, is I know that you – I'm pretty sure that you like Andy Samberg. Yeah, I I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Okay. Great show and a number of his other bit parts. I was pretty sure that this was the kind of comedy that you would really enjoy. And then I know that you do like – I know that you do like good romantic comedies. And I thought with this being a little bit of a, I guess, lack of a better word, a, like a sci-fi premise mixed in mm-hmm. with a romantic comedy, I thought this would be something that you would enjoy. So, Sam, was I right in my assumption? So, we, we said we are spoiling this? Yeah. Do we say that? Okay. So, uh, I did not have this spoiled for me. I am oh. thankful for that. Uh, I did manage to go into this fully blind. Fully blind. Uh, knowing I, I only knew that Andy Samberg was in it. That was it. The oh! only thing I knew is that Andy Samberg was in it, and that was it. That makes me so jealous because I didn't get to go in 100% blind. I was ruined on the premise. You knew the premise? Yes. Uh, Manny, this was one of the funnest experiences I've had watching a movie in I don't know how long. <laughs> yes. Uh, I loved every frame of Palm Springs <laughs> from, from the very this is a master class if, if for nothing else Palm Springs is a great master class in how to hook your audience so as somebody who had not had this spoiled I did not know that this was a time loop movie much similar uh, very similar to Groundhog Day or Edge of Tomorrow it's it's about a, a man stuck in a time loop and has uh, some a girl join him in this time loop and relive the same day over and over and over and over and over again in Palm Springs uh, I did not have that spoiled for me. That oh, premise. So I'm right so from the jealous. beginning, I I was trying to figure out what the fuck was <laughs> happening, and the movie does a really good job of hooking you in. There's like something like Andy Samberg showing up to this wedding, like he's at a luau, and even so- somebody comments on this, like, "Why the fuck is this guy dressed like this?" Like everyone else is wearing tuxes, and he's wearing like this Hawaiian shirt, and it's really strange. It was a really strange costuming choice. And then there's this moment, which we've all seen in movies before, especially comedies, where the wisecracking character, the guy who's the life of the party, grabs the microphone out of the hand of the maid of honor, and you go, oh no, he's about to bomb, he's about to make an ass out of himself, let's see how bad this goes. And he nails it, and he delivers this eloquent speech about the nature of love, and you're like, what the fuck is this movie? What am I watching? It just defied all the tropes that I could think of, he's hitting on this woman while he has a girlfriend and we're supposed to cheer for him still. And while he's about to seal the deal, he gets hit in the shoulder with an arrow. Like, <laughs> like that is the most batshit beginning to a, a comedy like this. The most batshit 10 minutes I can think of. And then he wanders into a fucking cave and the day starts over again. I was like, what the fuck is happening right now? <laughs> I was so confused and I was I was so intrigued and uh, the movie does a great job of revealing this premise to you, the audience. There's a number of tropes uh, that are ignored, basically, uh, that I, I really enjoy how they were treated. One of them was the wedding speech thing. I was fully expecting for him to just bomb this, this speech uh, and he didn't do it. Uh, 
So I was really happy that they decided to go a different direction there. Another one is uh, it's almost sort of hinted at that Niles, our main character, may have... I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. He he dodges questions about his past. It, it, it's it's kind of set up that he just doesn't remember. He's been in this time loop for so long, he doesn't even remember who he was. Mm-hmm. I was expecting to get some dramatic scene, some confession at the very end. I was a nobody. That's who I was. I was a loser. Is that what you wanted to know? Which is like some dramatic emotional scene. We didn't get that. And I'm happy that we didn't get that because yep. it's so unnecessary. The movie is about a man who is complacent and even though he feels a little bit trapped and he claims to resent his cage, he actually doesn't know what he would do if he was let out. He, he doesn't know how to live in a world that isn't this time loop. Mm-hmm. And when the opportunity is presented to him to leave, he doesn't jump at it because he's scared. And it could also be that I'm in a, I'm in a transitional period in my life. Uh, <laughs> you know, Manny, that I'm starting a new job next week. My last day at work is to, at my current job is tomorrow and I'm starting a new job. And Maybe it's just that I'm in that period of my life, but the feeling of not wanting to leave your safe little cozy space where you're used to it and everything's the same and you know what to expect and you don't want to leave it for the great beyond because it's scary. I just I feel that right now. You I know don't what I mean? You, I don't think you could have watched this at a better time. This this came to me at a perfect time in my life on top of the fact that it's just an exceptionally well-made movie. I mean, the, the cinematography is better than it absolutely needs to be. Agreed. The, the effects of like the the ground opening up at the beginning and almost swallowing up a goat uh, is like something ludicrous. Um, Manny, uh, Palm Springs, I had a, a fucking blast. Thank you so much for the recommendation. Uh, it it's the most fun I've had watching a movie this year. Easy. Oh, I I agree. This this movie, like I said, spoilers for next week is gonna be fucking high on my Easy. list. Yeah. Uh, uh, your rating? I gave it a four. Yeah, I was uh, I was contemplating giving it a four and as i went over to my head i was like i i can't think of a reason to not give this a five it would be dishonest of me to say that i didn't enjoy this movie the maximum amount you can enjoy a movie it was it was a blast i gave it a five i can tell you right now that this movie will become a five for me because Mm -hmm. this is a this is a movie that i'm i've already watched it i think two or three times Mm -hmm. and that's in what the two or three months since it came out this movie is so much fun. This is this is the kind of movie that I'm going – for me, this is the kind of movie that could end up becoming one of the classics of my life, the kind of movie yeah. that I'm going to revisit time and time and time again. To me, Palm Springs is this year's book smart. Yeah. The the film snob in me who like who reviews Oscar movies with you <laughs> just wants, wants to find some reason to give this a four. I'm just, I have that voice screaming at me. Ah, it's not that good. It's a silly little romantic comedy. But no, it is a beautiful, touching, funny, creative, original movie. And it gets a five. Perfect. Oh, I'm so I'm so happy that mm-hmm. you watched this movie. I was I was getting worried. We're getting down to crunch time. Uh, that you weren't going to find time for this because I was going to come on today, and if you hadn't seen it, I was like, you got to fucking watch it. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that you liked it this much because I I was fully confident that you were going to love this movie and to hear yeah, that you liked and it. I, you know me at this point. When you told me that I absolutely need to watch it, I knew to take it seriously as I take seriously the list that you gave me before we got on air tonight. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm so happy that I watched this. I I've got some thinking to do for for next week. I've got some things to do. Awesome, 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 awesome. I'm so fucking happy. <laughs> yes. All right, that's everything, right? 
Beauty. That's all. <laughs> that's that's a, a mere one hour into this thing. And yeah. We finally got it all. All right. So let's get to what everyone came here for. And that's the movie that we probably talk about the most <laughs> over the three years that we've been <laughs> doing this podcast. Even, even before we started doing this podcast, I think this is arguably the first movie that we talked about when it was new in depth. Like, between this and Three Billboards Outside of Missouri, this was one of the 2017 movies that we bonded over that made us friends, I think. Yes. Uh, arguably. Arguably. Mm. The movie that we're talking about is Wind River. Released August 18th, 2017. Directed by Taylor Sheridan. Written by Taylor Sheridan. Starring Jeremy Renner, Elizabeth Olsen, and Graham Greene. Has a meta score of 73, which is criminally low. And if you've ever listened to some of the episodes, you will know that Wind River had zero Oscar nominations. Zero Oscar nominations. A fact we will remind people of basically every time yes. this, <laughs> this comes up. Yes. Uh, it had a budget of $11 million. It grows 33 in the U.S. and 43 worldwide. The plot? A veteran hunter helps an FBI agent investigate the murder of a young woman on a Wyoming Native American reservation. Sam, what are your spoiler-free thoughts on Wind River? This is one I've been waiting for an excuse to rewatch, and I'm so happy we penciled it into the schedule. Uh, this is the third anniversary of the show, and the the anniversary episodes, I just got to say, have been some excellent movies. Our first <laughs> anniversary, we talked about The Dark Knight, and the second anniversary, we talked about The Town, which... Uh, I don't think is as prestigious as The Dark Knight, but is one that you and I, I think, both had on our uh, top 20, right? Yep. Our top 20 of all time, both included the town. So Wind River, even though it's an excellent movie, it's it's following some some pretty good shit. Um, it's, it's one that we talk about time and time again, you and I. Uh, it, it's still a fantastic movie three years later. Um, I think... The performances by Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen really uh, helm this movie. Um, I think Graham Greene as Ben is fucking awesome as the so the wisecracking uh, chief of tribal police uh, Ben Shoyo. Um, he's he's really excellent. Um, Gil Birmingham is uh, an actor that anytime he comes up, Manny and I point out how underrated he is, and he really is. I think we talked about him uh, a week or two ago when you brought up the show Yellowstone, which mm -hmm. is also written by Taylor Sheridan. Um, he's, he's really good. And uh, I think the standout performance in a bit part i guess would probably be pete uh played by james jordan who uh, oh. sort of well we'll definitely touch on a lot more uh when we get into spoilers but uh on this rewatch this is probably about the third or fourth time i've seen wind river Same. and this time it really stood out to me just how perfect the performance of pete is and just what a what a vile human being he is and how, how well that's communicated in the performance. But we'll, we'll touch on that when we get to the scene in the middle. Um, I think this movie is something that made me fall in love with Taylor Sheridan as a filmmaker. He has written Hell or High Water. He has written, uh, what was the other one that he wrote? Um, Sicario. Uh, I can't think of it. Sicario. Oh shit! Yeah, Sicario, right? <laughs> I almost said Blade Runner twenty forty nine because I knew, I knew it was a uh, villain of, but yeah, Sicario and uh, Heller High Water. He had written before this. This is his directorial debut, and he knocks it out of the fucking park. It is a is a fantastic movie. Of course, how can you not 
pick up on how to be a good director when you're writing for guys like uh like Denis Villeneuve, who's one of the modern masters. Uh, it's pretty clear he has a Midwestern background when you look at his filmography between Hell or High Water, Yellowstone. He has a movie coming out this year called Those Who Wish Me Dead, and apparently it takes place in Montana. So it's it's pretty obvious he's uh, he, he, he has a connection sort of to the... Uh, I saw something written on his Wikipedia about uh, this being a movie about the new American frontier. Um, so o- overall, uh, Wind River, it, it's a new, grounded, exciting take on a revenge flick. Um, it's It also has a really interesting character at its core, but a, it's a man uh, named Corey, played by Jeremy Renner, who's hunted by grief. And the opportunity presents itself to Corey to alleviate a little bit of that grief by helping somebody out who is going through uh, exactly what, or something very similar to what he went through. Uh, the screenplay is brilliant. It has riveting characters. Uh, the dialogue varies from being subtle to being witty to being devastating. Uh, it's a it's a beautifully written movie, beautifully directed, and I'm super happy we finally got a chance to talk about it, Manny. Just before I go on, I just want to um, say that uh, this isn't his directorial debut. Oh, he directed a movie in 2011 called Vile. That pretty much didn't get a release and went almost straight to DVD. It doesn't look like it's very good. No Metacritic review and only uh, 5,600 people have even watched it on IMDb and reviewed it. Oh, boy. With with a user rating of 5.0. Oh, out of 10. Out of 10. I thought we were doing Metascore still. No. <laughs> Five out of 100. Oh, God, could you imagine? Five out of 10. So uh, Taylor Sheridan, this this was, I, I guess, like his major feature director sure. debut. But but Vile was a, his, his directorial debut. Minor thing. Because I actually thought this was his directorial debut as well. But when you said I said, mm, maybe I should double check to make sure we're not lying. Cool. Cool. This, this movie... Taylor Sheridan hit my uh, my radar after the double bill of Sicario and From Hell or High Water. When I think in the – I'd seen Sicario. It fucking blew me out of the water. And then uh, Hell or High Water came out and got nominated for Best Picture. I think one of in the trailer or something like that, they said, you know, from the writer of Sicario or something like that. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, shit. This guy knows what he's doing. I should possibly start uh, – I should start paying attention to this guy. And then I think it was shortly after that because Hell or High Water came out in 2016, Wind River came out, and I was like, well, I got to go see this guy's fucking movie. And it blew me away. Absolutely blows me away. Renner is fantastic. I, I'm really I, – I feel that he's – I think he's so very underrated. He does have an Oscar nomination in the town. But every time he's on screen with and I'm I'm not I don't mean to throw shade, but it's not his fault, with the exception of the Hawkeye that he does in the MCU, he really captures my attention. He's in this really kind of I wouldn't I won't go so far as to say cheesy but he plays the villain in this fun little action movie called SWAT with Colin Farrell 
and he's the best part of that movie. Like he's so good as the villain, and he's great in Wind River, and he's like gr- I really enjoy his character in the Mission Impossible movies. I haven't watched his. He they tried to give him the Bourne franchise, and apparently didn't do that great. But I haven't watched it. But I, I'm a big fan of Renner uh, as an actor, and this is just an incredible performance. Oh, unless we forget fucking uh, the Hurt Locker. Yeah, he is just amazing in every movie I see him in. And then I'm looking over stuff, and I keep, and then I forgot about fucking Arrival. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> it's easy to forget how many how many great movies he's been in. Although Arrival, it's pretty easy to forget he's in that movie. He's if there's anything wrong with Arrival, which is a fantastic movie. If there's anything wrong with it, it's the uh, the writing of the Jeremy Renner character. It's yeah. uh, it wait in my opinion, it wastes his talents. It it does. Just funny, an underwritten male character. That's a nice change. Yeah, God. Can Hollywood stop underwriting <laughs> these male characters for once? It's just so upsetting. <laughs> uh, Renner's great. Graham Greene is fantastic. Gil Birmingham in the, what has he got? Four scenes? Just. Yeah. Yeah, not too many. Right? He's so good. So good. And Elizabeth Olsen is, there are times where she's fine. But there are times where she's really good, and yeah, in my opinion, um, the final act of this movie, she really begins to shine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And the movie is just, just so incredibly well done. Now, granted, for those of you that maybe haven't listened to every episode, which if you have, I fucking tip my cap to you. I I don't think there is somebody who's <laughs> listened to every episode and if there is i'm concerned for you there are way better uses of your time <laughs> i can tell i can tell you right now or at least that's what he told me but since the harry potter episodes wes has listened to every episode really yeah i think i think jordan must be close i think rachel's up there too jordan and i didn't even didn't even meet until Probably around episode 11 or 12 being released because, of course, I moved to Calgary after the first 10 or so episodes we recorded. Um, the movie... Uh, he, it's, just, it's just so good. So <laughs> why don't we get into it? Yeah, please. Why don't, why don't we uh, get into spoilers here because we're itching to tear this thing apart. All right, let's go into spoilers for Wind River in three, two, one. Uh, go fuck yourself. Let's begin with our lead actor, Jeremy Renner. What would you like to say about our good friend, Jeremy? Well, we're going to, um, after we go through the movie, go through our best scene candidates and and I got to tell you, a number of them are just monologues by him or or these just these excellent acting performances from him. He does a good job of portraying this this rough and tumble guy who's kind of a cowboy and he's a hunter. But he, he doesn't have it. He, he doesn't easily express himself 
and he's a very reserved person when it comes to expressing his emotions. There's even a scene where he begins to break down around Elizabeth Olsen uh, when he begins to describe what happened to his daughter, and he just immediately cuts himself off. He just goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The second he begins to start crying, and he, he cuts himself off. He... Uh, is a very empathetic person. His relationship with Gil Birmingham is really nice. I really like how uh, it's set up. Uh, Corey's connection to the Wind River Reserve uh, is very deep, and he knows everybody. It's set up as this very personal thing. Everybody knows each other in this small little community. Uh, he he does an excellent job, I think, of portraying a damaged individual who doesn't know how to interface with his grief he doesn't know what exactly to do about all this stuff that he's feeling so when this opportunity presents itself to maybe take away some of that guilt and maybe take take away some of that emotion that he's feeling he, he does experience a tremendous amount of guilt over the death of his daughter um he has this great line about how you can't even blink for a second when you have a kid because that's all it takes um so he when he's presented with this opportunity to make amends for what he feels is partially his fault, the death of his daughter. Uh, he, he jumps on it, and his motivation is completely believable. Uh, it's a testament to the writing of Taylor Sheridan that this, even though this man is a hunter, it, it is fully believable that he would go from hunting wildlife to hunting a rapist. It's, it's just a, it's not an easy jump to make, you need to have a solid motivation for your character and uh, Taylor Sheridan's writing executes it. It's, it's just a great example of writing, making, making a character better and an actor doing what he can with the writing. It's just a perfect symbiotic uh, relationship between Jeremy Renner and Taylor Sheridan. I agree wholeheartedly. Jeremy Renner really, he gives one of the performances that you and I really like to praise and that's the understated performance. Mm-hmm. Not, he doesn't have any – I shouldn't say any. He has very few really showy scenes with the exception of when he gets to do those monologues, especially the one at his home with Elizabeth Olsen. Uh, Jane is the character's name, I believe. Yeah. And they – the rest of the time he's just kind of acting, which makes me wonder if Jeremy Renner actually grew up on a ranch because he does a – I grew up on a ranch – so I know what real cowboys are, and he perfectly embodies the style of talking, the way he looks, the way he moves of the cowboys that I grew up with uh, that are all friends with my family now. I don't know any of them that hunt and kill human beings, but that you know of. That I know of. In all honesty, th- uh, some of my parents' friends – I would have no doubt that they would act and do the exact same thing that Jeremy Renner does in this movie. And this just for me just kind of shows the range that Renner has because this character is completely different from his Oscar nominated his Oscar nominated turn as Jem in the town. He could have easily brought in somebody to you could have brought in the character of Jem into Wind River if that was your choice. He could have been played that way, but he's not. He he acts and looks exactly like the Cowboys that I grew up with, and it's one of the reasons that this performance really stands out for me. 
one of the, one of the great moments for Jeremy Renner in this movie, which is just a small thing that Mago overlooked, but something that stands out to me every time I watch it, is when he comes across uh, Natalie's body in yes. the snow. His yes. reaction to that is not to just break down and sob because that's not who this man is. He he's already damaged enough and he's been through enough pain. He does, of course, panic coming across a dead body, uh, but he drops to his knees and unzips his jacket because, I mean, as you know, when you're wearing when you're wearing heavy, heavy uh, snow gear, you will begin to sweat, especially if you begin to panic. Mm-hmm. He unzips his jacket and just uh, tries not to hyperventilate. He's just breathing through his nose. And, and it's just this. It's a small reaction that is so authentic. It would be so easy to overact here. It would be so easy to drop to your knees and go, no, <laughs> and really ham it up. But his reaction is just is so authentic and so real and so uh, so uh, true to the character. It's uh, it's so well played by Jeremy Renner. And for some reason, that little moment just stands out to me. I'm with you. Uh, next up, Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, we sort of said that she is not one of the highlights of the movie, at least in the first couple of acts. Um, She's serviceable. She's not, like, bad or anything. Um, In my opinion, she really begins to shine um, starting at the Mexican standoff uh, with the oil rig workers. Um, At at that scene, she really begins to command control and show why she is in the position that she's in. For the first act of this movie... It's kind of a tender balancing act, right? Because Taylor Sheridan wants to really show just how useless she is, but she, but he doesn't want the character to be useless. He wants oh. the, the he wants the situation to be hopeless for her character. She, he wants her to feel outmatched in the in the character's eyes. So it's a tender balancing act, right? If you if you make her too useless you kind of lose empathy for the character but if you make her too powerful then the situation loses its gravity so it's a a really nice balancing act they pull off right in the beginning so in the in the first act of the movie when she's introduced um she really doesn't have a whole lot to do other than walk around and say well i'm the best you got right now so please help me find this killer um but in the back half of the movie she really begins to shine and really begins to she starts to be Jane Banner. She starts to be an FBI officer and show, okay, this is this is why this is where the training comes out. This is why she was sent to this place. She clearly has uh, a grip on the situation. I agree, and I love that you said that that the character is shown to be helpless but not incapable of doing her job. She's actually she's actually she is good at her job. She's just helpless to do the things she wants because of the jurisdictional bullshit that goes on down in the states, especially mm-hmm. around reservations. And it is so incredibly frustrating to watch when you watch this movie. And it's really portrayed well by Elizabeth Olsen. She does get a little bit more to do towards the end of the movie. One of my favorite scenes with her in it, which really accentuates and drives home the point that while she may not be able to navigate the red tape that she wants to, she is good at her job, and that's when they go to the little fellow house where she kills Sam. 
Mm-hmm. She's a fucking badass. Yeah. In that, that scene. That is the first taste of like, okay, this even though she's helpless in this particular situation, this woman knows what she's doing. She she is clearly sent here because she's capable. Yes, and I fucking love that. Uh, I'm I'm not going to go into too much of the other stuff and scenes about her I like because I think I'll touch on it when we actually because there's a few scenes that I'd like to discuss. So I think I'm I'm ready to move off of Elizabeth Olsen. I want to touch on Graham Greene and then just go over some scenes that I enjoyed. If you're okay with that, yeah, that's great. Let's do it that way. Um, I'm just going to quickly touch on Graham Greene. Uh, he's fucking great in this movie. And he plays a man who really knows the futility of all of this. He's doing his job the best he can, but he knows that no matter what he does, it's pretty much not going to, it's not going to matter. And as shitty as that is, he's come to accept that. And that's sort of the general vibe uh, from everybody who lives in the Wind Wind River Reservation. Everybody that we encounter including uh, Gil Birmingham's character, um, who's Martin. Martin. Martin has this line about how I'm just so tired of fighting this life. And that that's sort of the attitude that everybody, including uh, Graham Greene's character, uh, it, they all sort of carry with them at all times, this feeling of helplessness. And it, it it's really nice to see uh, Jane ask this question at one point, uh, why wasn't Natalie reported missing? <laughs> and it really goes to show how clueless, how much of a fish out of water she really is. Mm-hmm. Because it's clear from watching all these people who live on the reservation that reporting somebody missing amounts to exactly jack shit. It does <laughs> precisely nothing <laughs> in this world. It does nothing for them. Mm-hmm. So it really shows the ignorance of Jane to the situation through no fault of her own yep. when she asks, well, well, why wasn't she reported missing? Well, because nothing would happen. Nothing would happen. And that, that sort of goes unspoken that mm. disconnect, but it's pretty obvious when, when you're looking for it. And again, it's fantastic writing. Yeah. Uh, just like curiosity, have you seen dances with wolves? No, okay. no, I haven't. Okay. Uh, because Graham green is, he's, if I'm not mistaken, he was actually Oscar nominated for his performance in Dances with Wolves uh, as Kicking Bird. No matter find what, out for you, yeah, perfect. No matter what I see Graham Greene in, it's all I think about. It's it's what I see. Now he does escape into these other roles, but he's so iconic in Dances with Wolves for me that every time I see him, that's exactly where my heart where my heart goes is that he's Kicking Bird. Uh, Graham Greene nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 1991. Yeah, and well worthy of it. Yeah, um, yeah. His his character is one of the best in the movie. He is he's the even though he's very jaded, he's he uh, he understands the bureaucracy really fucks the pe- fucks his people up. Uh, he, he still has a very good sense of humor. He's still uh, always cracking jokes. <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the entire movie is when. Uh, he's introducing Jane to some people. I, I can't remember who the man is. <laughs> he says, he says this is uh, he is introducing some people and their position. He says this is Dan. He don't do nothing. And then Dan responds <laughs> to him, "We got the same job, eh?" <laughs> there's, there's still a good sense of humor on, uh, through these people, and it, uh, it I think uh, I keep forgetting the character's name. Is it uh, Ben? 
Ben. Yeah. yeah. Ben Ben has an excellent sense of humor. He's one of the one of the bright spots of the movie for me. All right. Uh let's take a quick actually I just wanted to I just wanted to throw out uh a little love to the cinematographer Ben Richardson. Mm-hmm. There are some really beautiful shots uh in this movie. Just going through looking at his filmography, I don't see anything that really stands out except for this one. Uh, he has been filming. Uh, he did a couple of the episodes of Yellowstone, which is another. Obviously, that's written and directed by Taylor Sheridan, so it's going to kind of have the same look. But none of these other movies. Oh, Beasts of the Southern Wild. That was a nice looking movie. And yeah, I know that uh, The Fault in Our Stars was a very popular movie for people my age. I never watched it. Yeah, I've never um, seen it. Yeah, it's uh, it's a young adult uh, movie about two two young adults who fall in love uh, and their cancer patients. <laughs> it's uh, it, the book was written by uh, a, a guy I really respect actually named John Green, but that's a story for another day. So yeah, uh, Ben Richardson does excellent work on wind river. I think uh, the, the, the snowy plains have never looked prettier and w- the wind river reserve has never looked more beaten down. He does a very good job of communicating just how dilapidated this place is. And uh, it just feels underfunded. That's the the best best way I can describe it. (laughs) It looks like a reserve. Yeah, exactly. If you've ever stepped foot on one, which you and I both have, you said you used to live on one, right? I am living on one. (laughs) Yeah, it it feels like a reserve. (laughs) He captures it very well. Yes. And uh, Wind River is a real place. So I I imagine it probably looks very similar to this i don't know if they shot on location or not i imagine they probably didn't they but. didn't because uh wind rivers in wyoming and if i th- remember correctly i think they shot in utah right 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 mm. i remember reading that as well yeah okay uh well you know what let's just talk uh I'm gonna go somewhat, basically, somewhat chronologically. If I skip over some uh, something that you want to talk about, you just let me know. I'm just gonna yeah. kind of highlight some of the stuff that I really enjoyed. After they find uh, the body, the scene where we're introduced to Martin, where Jane meets the family. Uh, Jane mm-hmm. and Ben go and see Martin and Anna. I think the wife is, mm-hmm. uh, if I remember correctly. Not sure. We only, we barely get to see her. So, uh, Annie. <clears throat> Uh, this is where we meet Martin and Gil Birmingham is so fucking good. He's mm. so good. I, I'm a big fan of this actor and he's obviously hurt and seething from news of his daughter's death, but he's also resentful towards this white FBI agent who is here, who is, She's trying her best to help, but Martin just sees her as a white person that's coming in who will say a couple things and then leave and not help at all because that's what he's used to. Mm -hmm. And so while Jane truly does want to help, the jurisdiction bullshit that she has to put up with, uh, actually, I think it's in the scene prior to this, is where she's at the morgue. And you're just fucking frustrated beyond belief over all the red tape and bullshit 
the coroner isn't going to label this a homicide because it technically isn't a homicide. Her cause of death isn't murder. She drowned in her own blood. Mm-hmm. And and then she's like, well, I need you to rule homicide or the FBI has no jurisdiction. He's like, well, I'm not ruling it a homicide. And he's like, but if you want to say the cause of this was a homicide and stuff, oh, it's, it was, that scene is so well written and mm-hmm. so fucking frustrating. So Jane's trying her best to do what she can within the power she has. But Martin, unaware of this, and most likely aware of all the other deaths that have probably happened on this reserve where nothing fucking came of it, is just like, you can say everything you want, but you're not really going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And it's heartbreaking to see and you can see the anger and frustration just below the surface on Gil Birmingham's face. It's just, it's just great acting. Mm-hmm. The, the delivery of the line when, uh, when Jeremy Renner delivers his excellent, uh, uh, what does he say? Keep the pain or, uh, uh, or, uh, he says something like he gives a monologue that ends with like, keep the pain or something like that. Um, Martin's reaction to that when he just sighs and, has a little bit of a shake in his breath. It's just very subtly has a little bit of a shaky breath and says, I'm just, I'm just tired. I'm tired of fighting this life. And it's, uh, he does a great job of just showing how beaten down he feels and how broken down by life in this place has made him. It's, it's so sad and such an excellent performance. Mm -hmm. And that leads into when Corey shows up at the house, Martin opens the door and he sees Corey. And that's when he breaks down because he's around someone he trusts and someone who truly understands the pain that he's going through since Corey lost his daughter. Mm-hmm. It's a great transition because all before Corey gets there, Martin is strong and tough and angry, and rightfully so, but angry. But the moment he opens the door and Corey's there, he's in a safe environment and he just loses it. Mm-hmm. And we get this uh, We get this scene where uh, Jane is asking all these questions about why she wasn't reported missing and why she was allowed to go hang out with her older boyfriend for so long and without parental supervision. And she's coming off very judgy, even mm-hmm. though she's just she's just trying to get a better understanding of the situation. And it's another great scene that shows just how out of her depth Jane is because she she does come off so ignorant again through no fault of her own she just she didn't grow up around here she doesn't get the dynamic she doesn't get what life is like and uh and she doesn't intend to insult uh Martin or anything like that but she she definitely proves that she is an outsider in this world in this scene and Martin and uh and Annie we said it is Annie yeah yeah Martin and Annie uh yeah Martin Martin and Annie uh let her know about it, let's say. Well, Annie doesn't, she doesn't say anything because Annie's in the room cutting her wrists. That's right, yes. A, a different kind of communication. Yes. Yeah. Who? Who is the, uh, there's another old woman uh, who I'm thinking of who lends her the snowsuit. Yeah, that's that's Corey's ex-mother-in-law. Yes, that's right. Uh, she is Alice. Alice. Alice yeah, and that's Dan. Who, that's who I'm thinking of, the, the woman who is very unwelcoming. Yes, very Making she it. has this really funny line about how the thermals can make your uh, underwear wedge up your bottom, but it looks like yours are already there. Yeah. <laughs> Super funny. Next up, uh, 
Martin and Corey are outside. And Renner's really great being there for his friend. And he does give that, uh, he does give a really great monologue that you were just talking about. Yeah, take the pain. It's really great. And I won't lie, I almost cried in this scene. Yeah. And it's such a such a wise thing for him to say. Mm-hmm. It's just per- the perfect thing to say. And it's it's not about telling him that everything's going to be all right. It because it won't be. He, nope. he it, there's nothing he can say that will make it all right. Like in this moment, all he can do is let his friend know that he knows how he feels, and that even though it won't be all right ever, it'll it'll be better. Like it, it, in time they can learn to live with it. Uh, it's it's such a powerful moment between friends who have this horrible shared experience, and it's a it's a fantastic cinematic moment. Let's see. Well, next up um, is Ben, Corey, and Jane go to the little fellow house. And the actor who plays Sam uh, is named Tokola Black Elk. Fucking awesome. Yes. Playing a completely methed out fucking crackhead. Yeah, we only get two little moments with him. One is when he answers the door and one is when he dies. And both of those are awesome. Both of those are so well performed. I do just want to point out, by the way, I think you've said little fellow a couple of times. It's little feather. Little feather. Thank you. I did. Little I keep feather. saying little fellow. It is little feather. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, when he fucking gets him with the bear spray, I'm just like motherfucker. And I like Ben and Jane are like trying not to throw up, and their eyes are fucked up, and they're screaming, and. You can hear them yelling for Corey, who's gone around back, and Corey knows exactly what's coming around, so he just kind of looks around. He's like, grabs a shovel, and the two guys are running out the back, and he just fucking nails them with the shovel. Mm. Jane, keeping her wits about her and unsure of what's gone around behind back, now has to go in, and this is where she's fucking badass. Comes in with her gun, and I love... I love that they give her POV with like you see and there's like all kind of like the bear spray on the lens. Yeah, it's a great look. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah, it ups the tension with that shitty ass fucking EDM music playing or whatever the fuck's playing in there. I don't give a fuck. There's my music taste again. And you just see the squalor that these guys are living in. It, it's just fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the place is... I mean, for lack of a better term, it is a true crack house. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, it is not looking so good. And there's the moment when she when she shoots Sam, and he's not dead. He's suffering. Yes. Uh, he's he's had a bullet through the face, and he's not dead. Uh, and that's just one of, like that's just one of the bullets because she fucking unloads on him. Yeah, she she unloads an entire clip on him. I think. Yeah. And uh, and he's not dead. And uh, she calls or Ben comes in. And she says, we need to get this guy to a hospital. And again, it just shows the disconnect between what she 
has experienced what she has experienced and what Ben has experienced. Mm-hmm. This scene does a really good job of showing that because she is in a frenzy. She's like, we need to get this guy to a hospital. He might make it through. We need we need to get medical help right away. And Ben says, just leave him. Not because Ben is a monster or because he is he enjoys watching this man suffer, but because he knows there's no help out here. Yep. And actually, there's, there's an excellent line at the beginning of this scene that I have written down somewhere from <laughs> Ben who says, uh, oh, man, this isn't the land of backup, Jane. This is the land of you're on your own. Yes. This, that is a perfect encapsulation of what Wind River is. I think that's and right before they knock on the door. It's right before, yeah. <laughs> I did not want to skip over that. So then when Sam is dying on the ground and he says, just leave her or just leave him, it's it makes sense for both of their characters, their reaction to this. Yeah. Ben knows there's no help. Ben knows even though he's not dead, he's dead. He's yeah. as good as dead. Oh, again, brilliant writing. Mm-hmm. Did I mention that this wasn't nominated for any Oscars? Wait, not even screenplay? Not even screenplay. Zero Oscars? Zero. Oh, my goodness. Speak. Oh, you know what? We'll get to that. Oh, we'll, we will get there. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, I'm just checking something. I want to just quickly check. Uh, I, I remember what won this year. I think it was Get Out, right? Jordan Peele won. Ouch. I'm looking at yeah, the because, other. Yeah, uh, because I wanted Martin McDonough to win for Best Original Screenplay for Three Billboards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the other nominees. It's going to be tough for West to sneak Wind River in there. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to, goddammit. We're going to have to. <laughs> Ouch. Okay, um... The last part of this is where Corey sees the tracks going up the mountain. And uh, we do get, uh, I don't know, we kind of get a, it's a decent, mm, decent performance from, um, shit. Guy that plays the victim's brother. I can't remember the victim's name. Natalie. Um, Would have been Chip. Uh, Chip is the brother's name. Chip. Yeah, I like that he catches that they say was, mm-hmm. and yeah, she was dating a guy. Yeah, why'd you say was? And mm-hmm. it's it's a it's it's decent acting, not great but decent. It's believable is basically what I'm saying. You know what does bother me about this a little bit actually? The casting is just a little bit off. He strikes me as he, he it's never really. It feels like he's supposed to be around Natalie's age, right? That's what it felt like. It feels like his character is, like, Sam is quite young, right? Sam? Sam Littlefeather, the guy who we just saw get killed. The guy that got killed? Uh, I yeah. don't know if he's young. Okay. For some reason, I have it in my head that this guy is supposed to be young, Chip. Mm-hmm. And the actor, I, I just looked it up, he was, like, he would have been, like, 31 at the time of filming, probably. So it, it just feels like, I, I don't know, it felt kind of weird to me, but... Uh, that could just be a misconception based on me. I always had it in my head that this character was supposed to be kind of close to Natalie's age. Okay. Fair but enough. maybe maybe wrong about that. We'll see. All right. Uh, next up, I the scene itself is fine. There's no real reason for it, and they actually mention it in the scene, and this is when Jane goes to Corey's house. This is where Jeremy gives the great monologue about his daughter's death. But I I guess for for us to understand the character, this scene is needed. But I like that they call it out in the scene itself because Jeremy says, you didn't need to come here to tell me that. 
Mm-hmm. And she's like, but I, I think she says, but I wanted to, I wanted to know why you're helping me. And now I do. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like that. It's, it gives it gives I like that it gives a reason for her to actually come to his house instead of just calling him on the phone. Yeah. And this is where we get to see Renner probably one of the Renner acting highlights of the movie. Yeah. It does get a little bit of a chance to tear up and sort of choke back his emotions and yeah. try to be a man about it. And yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's well executed. It's good. I I, th- I think the highlight is back at Martin's house where he tells him mm-hmm. to take the pain. That's a really great monologue. Yeah, but it's this, spectacular. This is right up there. Um, but there's not really much else of of highlight in this scene. No, I I think that's just about everything. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if I have anything to add to that one. Okay, so the following day they're going to the oil rig. And this is where shit gets fucking good. <laughs> yeah, this is where the movie fucking goes now. <laughs> yeah. So... Ben asked for some help from looks like a couple of the sheriffs, I guess, and somebody else who I couldn't figure it out because there's two guys in like either, you know, sheriffs or highway patrolmen, the, the, the ones in the brown jacket. And then there's one guy that just looks like a SWAT team member. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I know that they I know that they say where he's from in that scene when they're meeting in that parking lot. I just don't recall where it's from. But anyways, I can't got, think of it, honestly. Yeah, there's they got three extra people. So there's there's six of them. The two cops, we'll call the third one a cop, and then you got Ben, Jane, and Corey. But Corey's going to go follow those tracks that he found at Little Feather's place, which lead him to the oil rig camp in a roundabout way, and that's when he pieces together. Oh, wait. Yeah, this we, this we moment haven't... has always kind of confused me. Sorry. Uh, because the tracks first take him to the uh, to the mountain lions. And he sort of pauses there for a second. And then he notices that they go to the oil refinery. So I, I, it's always kind of confused me what it is he realizes in that moment. We skipped over where him and Jane have, have found the body. Yes. So they've found John Bernthal's body yes. at this point. And what – the reason it doesn't conf- – I, I guess maybe what you're not piecing together is that – the tracks from Little Feather's place take him and Jane to John Bernthal's body, which we don't know it's John Bernthal at this point because we haven't mm-hmm. we, we haven't we haven't gotten the the flashback yet. Mm-hmm. He follows the tracks again, following the same path that he was on. So the body goes from, or or he goes from the body to the oil rig. That's where he realizes that the people that killed this right killed this person are from there right and now Understood. that now jane and ben and those cops are there so jeremy realizes this could be a problem mm-hmm. and this is where some brilliant writing were part of part not all but part of the person responsible for one of our all-time favorite scenes the border crossing scenes cario this is not at that level but it's 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 up there. It's it's adjacent. This is one of the first moments I can recall being excited about editing. This <laughs> is one of the first moments in my film nerddom <laughs> that I can remember seeing an edit on screen and being like, that was cool. That was fucking cool. 
and I've, I think I've mentioned this before, but when you think about it, editing really is one of the only things that film and TV have over every other medium. You cannot edit in theater. You cannot, you cannot have direct cuts uh, that associate two things, what Alfred Hitchcock called montage. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot have that in any other art form. So this edit just feels... I don't know. It just feel it might be even a little overly romantic to say this, but it really feels like this is what film is about when I see this. And I just get all warm and fuzzy inside when I see this edit happen. It's glorious. You're talking about the the knock on the door, right? Yes, absolutely. Okay. This is very similar to the editing in Silence of the Lambs. Mhm. At the end of Silence of the Lambs. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. It so it's paying homage to that. Definitely. Before we get to that, though, the flanking, the Uh, gun standoff happens before we get to that editing moment. That's very true. And And this is is where Jane starts to flex her muscles and begins to thrive a little bit. And she's a little bit more in her element in this adversarial environment. And it starts with, again, fantastic writing. The small little, the, the small hint of, why are you flanking me, bro? Yeah. Like that that one line just heightens the tension so much. And you can even feel that something's not quite right. Yeah. Right? Because... When they arrive when they arrive at the camp, the guys have cuts on their face and they're over explaining everything. Yep. But when they ask uh where I I can't remember the boyfriend's name, um uh, uh John Bernthal's character. Oh shit, that's a good call. I want Matt. Call, I want Is it call, Matt. I think you're right. I want to call him yeah. Frank, but it's not. It's Matt. Yeah, I think uh, they show up and say, uh, "Does Matt so and so work here?" And the, the the superior on the site says, uh, "Yeah, why have you seen him? We haven't seen him in a few days. You see, him and his girlfriend got in a fight, and he immediately starts explaining this whole thing. And you're like, why? The, why is this guy explaining everything so much? This is this is not right. And then they've all got cuts and bruises on their face. And then yeah, the Mexican standoff starts to really hype up." When, when he starts flanking, uh, when, when they start flanking each other and then the guns come out. By the way, I think I've told you the story before, but I just want to I want to share this for people who maybe haven't heard it. This guy, um, the, the the their main contact sort of on this oil rig, this uh, this bald white guy mm-hmm. that they're talking to, uh, who is the, the first one who contacts them. Um, <laughs> I was I was at a concert one time for this band called Headstones. They're Canadian punk rock band. I've or, seen them. I guess you call them punk rock. I've seen them and live. Huh? I've been to a Headstones concert. Yeah, so I I was just at this show and I'm looking at the lead singer. And I'm like, this guy is so familiar. I know this guy from somewhere. I don't know where I know him from. And I googled him while it was there. it was at uh, Cactus Jacks in Kamloops. And I'm just standing there on the floor at Cactus Jacks watching this concert on my phone, trying to figure out who this guy is. And I was like, holy shit, that's that's one of the rapists from Wind River. <laughs> is that seriously him? That's him. It's him. He is the lead. Si- the guy that they talked to is the lead singer of Headstones. No way. And I did not know. I was just sitting there at this show by myself. I don't think I was. I can't remember if I was with anyone. I don't think I was. I think I was by myself. And I was just having my mind blown by this fact that this movie that I loved, I was watching one of the guys who was in it right in front of me. Uh, <laughs> and I had nobody around to share it with. One of the Dillon. odds somebody at a punk rock show knows who Wind River or what Wind River is. Hugh Dillon. That's funny. What's his name? His name is Hugh Dillon. Hugh Dillon. In his multi-platinum punk rock band, The Headstones. Mm-hmm. 
Great show, by the way. I had a great time. Not yeah. just because of that fact. I had a great. I, I've yeah, he was great in that. Fuck, he, he's a big time actor. He's been. He's got forty four credits to his name. Yeah, he was uh, a lead in some Canadian TV show. I think right. Flashpoint. Yeah, Flashpoint. I think that ran on like CTV or something like that. Seventy five episodes. Yeah. He's also on. He's also in Yellowstone. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Feels like a lot of people from this are in Yellowstone. Yeah, there is. A lot of crossover hmm. here. That's so funny. Like, I would never put that together. And yeah, I, and, and I, I, and I certainly didn't. And I've been 10 feet from this man's face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was right up there, too. And I was just standing there. I was like, where the fuck do I know this guy from? <laughs> uh, trying to figure it out. Yeah, it was funny. But I, uh, he, he doesn't really have like a ton to do here or anything like that. Uh, but he, he executes the character. Well, he, no pun intended, I guess. Wow. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that scene is so tense. And then we get to the trailer door transition, which is a complete homage, complete mm-hmm. homage to silence of the lambs. Definitely. And we get the flashback scene where we find out what happened to Natalie and to Frank, where we learn it's John Bernthal in a fucking cameo, which was mm. fucking awesome to see. Speaking of John Bernthal, don't you think he would have been good as Corey as well? Yeah, I do think so. And I I, I think that's that's good casting as well. Not that either of us are eager to recast Jeremy no, Renner at all. No, but, not at all. But, uh, you know, Go ahead. I think he does do well to be cast in this role uh, because it's set up quite early on that uh, it's suspected that Matt had something to do with Natalie's disappearance since they're both gone, right? It's suspected that maybe he killed her, maybe he raped her, something happened uh, until they find his body. Uh, so I think the movie does well, and Taylor Sheridan does well, to play off john bernthal's history of being cast as pieces of shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) it seems like john bernthal is always a bad guy in the movie i always uh you you think about him in something like wolf of wall street uh where he's just a complete scumbag um i've never watched punisher but he's sort of an anti-hero in that from what i understand Mm -hmm. Uh, shane in the walking dead yeah the list goes on and on and on um uh baby driver baby driver as well he's a volatile piece of work um so i think uh, he is somebody Sicario. who's kind of type- Yeah, Sicario, <laughs> he's a fucking hitman. He's kind of typecast as bad guys, in particular like hotheads, like hothead bad guys. Mm-hmm. So I feel like casting him in this role was probably a conscious choice of like, oh, like when when I personally see John Bernthal, I think, oh, this guy's going to be a bad motherfucker. So naturally, with him being connected to a rape in the story of this movie, I'm like, oh, that just like, that just makes sense. So it, it sort of plays with your expectations a little bit, in my opinion. It's it is I don't know if that's something you felt as well, but I, I definitely got that vibe. Mm, I did. It, it's it's such a great scene, mm-hmm. and uh, I love how quickly it escalates. And I was gonna say, okay. I don't mean to insinuate what this is going to insinuate. I know exactly what you're trying to say, and I agree. <laughs> I've been in these situations, but oh. not not where a woman ends up getting raped. 
I've been in situations where a bunch of drunk guys come into a situation and one guy is just being a fucking dick and will not stop despite repeated askings of him not to. And then it gets to the point. It, it didn't get to the point where somebody dies, obviously. Mm. But I've been to the point where this one drunk asshole just will not fucking stop no matter how much you ask him, no matter how politely. And then one guy just snaps. And it didn't get to the point where I've seen I've seen it get to the point where fucking like friends have fucking thrown down. But it's it's, and that's exactly what you were mentioning before about the guy that plays Pete, whose name is where is he? Uh, James Jordan. Um, James Jordan plays this perfectly, and I've seen assholes like this sadly numerous times. And it's a great scene that again builds tension and. Sadly, goes to places that are not fun to go to. Yeah, so I struggle to talk about this scene because I don't want to say that it's a good scene, <laughs> even though it is. Like it feels, it feels gross on the inside to say, like, what what a great scene, the the rape scene in Wind River. It just feels does not feel good to make that comment on a movie yes but it is such a well-directed tense horrible disgusting scene it's very effective at what it's trying to do um it is not pleasant to watch i do not relish the opportunity to watch this scene in particular but it is so effective at what it's trying to do which is uh convey the horror of what natalie experienced and show it it if for nothing else, narratively, it wants to justify Pete's death. So what Jeremy Renner goes on to do in this movie is very well justified by this scene. Mm -hmm. It's, in my opinion, nothing of value was lost uh, on, on the mountaintop that day. Nothing of value was lost. Yeah. So we will, we will get there. But if for nothing else, this scene is designed to make you empathize with Natalie and the horrible horrible things she had to go through in in the last moments of her life and it is designed to make you hate pete and want him to die and it succeeds it succeeds a million times over and not only because of the writing but like i said off the top uh james jordan as pete whew, i have i have not seen a more punchable face on a character <laughs> in a long long time He's got the punchable face. He's got the raspy, drunk, slurry voice down. He is belligerent. And that's all besides him being a rapist. <laughs> like, it, he is just one of the most revolting people you can even think up. Uh, so, uh, great job, Taylor Sheridan, thinking up this terrible person for us to root for him to be dead. Because he does a great job. Yeah, he hasn't really done anything else I've really seen. <clears throat> shocking, shocking. He's in Yellowstone. Um, <laughs> he's really good in in this movie, and it's just like you said. He creates a perfectly punchable character. Maybe since um, fuck, I can't remember the shitty guard in the Green Mile would be the last. Oh one that comes to mind. yeah, what the fuck is that? Is, is it also a P name, Percy? Percy, yeah. yeah. Fuck people yeah, with P names, right? Yeah. Terrible. Uh, but yeah, this scene is immediately followed up by the gunfight. And 
I love the gunfight. It's quick. It's intense. It's fucking hard to watch. And it just plays out so well. And then Corey starts sniping them off. Fucking awesome. There, one of my favorite moments with this gunfight is the two guys on opposing sides who are out of ammo, yep. who are both wounded, trying to reload in time to shoot the other. Well, that that is that is a very tense moment as they're both trying to reload and they both wind up uh, offing each other at the same time, basically. Yeah. yeah, and it's the guy that that said, the guy that called out the flanking, and that was that was one great end. That was one of the perfect endpoints of that that fucking. I it wasn't really a Mexican standoff, but like the tense standoff was once Jane is calmed every day down, he's like, he's like, I can't believe you didn't see that. Yeah, what what was it he was referring to? I still didn't catch that. When he when they were flanked. Because mm-hmm. he's the only one that saw them being flanked oh, by I, these guys. I, okay. And yeah. then like the other two cops were just backing up their partner. Jane didn't see it, Ben didn't see it, but this one fucking cop realized what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then right when she kind of calms everyone down, she tells him to holster his gun and he's he's like I can't believe you didn't see that. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. And then, well, he loses his life because of it. Whoopsie. Yeah, shitty. Uh, uh, Jane taking the shotgun to the chest, you know, her bulletproof vest obviously saved her life. Uh, she caught a little bit. She still, despite being shot, she still keeps her wits about her, tries to, you know, she's, trying to stay alive she i think she still shoots some people while she's down and once you know Corey's picked off a couple people and pete's on the loose uh you know Corey, you know brings her inside puts her on the couch she you know she's like i need a helicopter there's you know and she's really good in this scene and it's where she i think she tells him to go get pete and he's like you know that I'm not going to bring him back. And she's like, she, I think she says, go get him or something like that. And she's just like, she's it's, that's a, it's a really big thing for an FBI agent to say, please go commit murder. Yeah. And it, it's also, uh, it also goes to show the importance of all of the little character moments that Jane has had up until this point all these little moments of her showing just how out of her depth she is, just how unfamiliar with this environment that she is, how she doesn't know how justice works in this part of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, All of these moments of her showing just how ignorant she is to how things work. That is the setup for this moment. That is the setup for her to make the realization. Okay. We are not going to get justice out here. Nothing is going to get done unless this man is allowed to go kill this rapist. That yeah. is the only way we get anything resembling justice. Well, now he's a rapist. Now he's a rapist thing. and a murderer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, off goes Corey. Corey letting this guy kind of run out as uh, he is trying to f- figure out who he's being followed by, and then Corey, you know, hits him with the butt of his gun, puts him in a duffel bag of some sort. Yeah, did they just did they bring a body bag? I I was well, I think since he's a like a, a hunting and game reservationist, he probably yeah. has like body bags for like animals. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that's what he put Pete in. Takes him up to the top of the mountain, and I love how calm he is. He never raises his voice to him. 
to get him to confess to what he's done. And just like you said, like James Jordan is so fucking good in this scene. Just he is panicked and he's desperate and he's pathetic. Yes. Fucking pathetic in this scene. And he does a great job of conveying that. And you're right. Jeremy Renner is in control the entire time. Corey is he's got him by the balls and he's going to do exactly what he wants. And what a perfect form of revenge. I what a what an absolutely perfect form of revenge. Again, Taylor Sheridan might be a little fucked up in some ways thinking of how excellent this stuff is, but I can I can think of no better way for this man to go out than the same way that Natalie did. And Corey even has a great moment where he explains that to him and says, I'm going to give you the same chance that she got. She ran however long it was that she ran. Yeah, before her lungs burst. That's a warrior. And he even repeats it a little bit quieter. He's like, that's a warrior. (laughs) And you can feel the disdain and just the, the hatred towards this man, but he doesn't raise his voice and then he sets him off. And that that is just one of the most satisfying revenge scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Ah, it is. It's not even it revenge. It feels it's, so it's, fucking it's, good. It's not revenge. It's justice. Yeah, justice. That's what it is. Yeah. Absolutely. And then Pete takes off, and Corey tells him, he's like, you're not, she made it six miles. I don't even think you're going to make it 600 yards. Yeah, and he makes it, well, like, it makes like 200 feet maybe. Yep. And then yeah. dies, drowning in his own blood, just like yeah. Natalie. Yep. Pointing up to the sky. <laughs> yep. Then we get the final scene where Corey goes to tell Martin. And I love the, I love the little bit of tension because Corey arrives at the house. Nobody's answering. He goes upstairs. He finds oh, – fuck, what's her name again? Annie? Alice. Finds Alice. No, no uh, Annie. 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 Yeah, I read the first time. Yeah. Finds Annie upstairs just in Natalie's bedroom, puts the blanket on her, and that's where he sees uh, Martin sitting outside. And he goes out, and Martin's wearing his face paint. His death paint, I think he calls it. His death, death face. Death face. This is my death face. And it's so touching to see these two guys. And the pain on Martin's face even though he gets the news he wants, it's such an incredible moment. He feels, he does feel good that his daughter got justice, but it still doesn't bring his daughter back. Yeah. The, the little, again, it's the unspoken things that Taylor Sheridan does so well. These things that go unspoken when, uh, all he says to Corey is I heard one got away. Yeah, and I, what does Corey say? Does he just say like, He's no, like, nobody, nobody? Or I hear one's still missing. Yeah, no, nope, nobody's missing. Nobody's missing. Uh, <laughs> there, I will say uh, this might be a personal preference thing, but for some reason, every time I watch this movie, when Gil Birmingham asks Corey, "How did he go out?" For some reason, there's a part of me that wants Corey to say, "Begging." Yeah. Because there's a part of me that wants him like to really twist the knife and to just like tell Martin that like he did not let this man off easy. There's a part of me that wants that. With a whimper is a perfectly fine line. I love but that with a whimper. In my head, Corey says, or when Martin says, how did he go out? Corey says, begging. That 
for some reason that just feels like uh, a little more a little more crunchy a little more textured a little i don't know i, I just that sounds that feels a little more just to me that might be a little over the top as well yeah <laughs> that might be a little bit extreme because like you said this is not quite a revenge it's justice yeah. and the taylor sheridan is probably taking care to make sure this doesn't feel like revenge but it feels like a fucking revenge to me and i just <laughs> it's a testament to the great job that he does making us hate pete yeah and then the movie ends on a f- a great line and it just shows the bond that these two men have mm-hmm. as martin says you got time to sit with me and Corey's like i ain't going nowhere mm-hmm. i fucking love it and then the movie ends and that's wind river all right i got some trivia for you you ready let's go all right During the course of the shoot, writer-director Taylor Sheridan was visited on set by some Shoshone tribal leaders who astonished him with the revelation that, at the very time, there were 12 unsolved murders of young women on a reservation of about 6,000 people. Due to a 1978 landmark government ruling, Oliphant versus Suquamish, Suquamish? Suquamish, the Supreme Court stripped tribes of the right to arrest and prosecute non-natives who commit crimes on native land. If neither victim nor perpetrator are native, a county or state officer must make the arrest. If the perpetrator is non-native and the victim is an enrolled member, only a federally certified agent has that right. If the opposite is true, so the perpetrator is an enrolled member and the victim is non-native, a tribal officer can make the arrest, but the case must still go to federal court. This quagmire creates jurisdictional nightmare by choking up the legal process on reservations to such a degree many criminals go unpunished indefinitely for serious crimes. Exactly what this movie is about. Fucking horrible, man. This is all fucking true. And by the way, we even forgot to say the closing title card of the movie. I'll get to that. Okay, yeah, there's a trivia fact? Yes. Okay, perfect. Okay. Uh, In order to get attention for the movie so that Taylor Sheridan could get enough money to finish it in post-production the way he wanted, he entered it into the Sundance Film Festival without telling his producers, who he says were not happy because they were trying to close a deal with the Weinstein Company for the film. Ah, yes, the Weinstein Company. Yeah. Uh, John Bernthal lost four toenails filming the trailer scene. Ow! Don't like that. Yeah. Um, this is exactly what you were just about to talk about. Uh, the film concludes with the quote, quote, while missing person statistics are compiled for every demographic, none exist for Native American women, end quote. That quote appears on screen at the end of the movie. In an NPR interview, Taylor Sheridan shared how this quote came about. He says, quote, I had two researchers spend three months trying to find a statistic. They came back and said, Taylor, we cannot find a statistic. No one's keeping it. And I said, well, that's our statistic, end quote. Yeah, just chilling. I remember the first time this goes, this went to end credits. I just, I'm just baffled by that fact. It's, it doesn't make sense that that should be the case in the 21st century. Yeah, it's fucking atrocious. Uh, And the last bit of trivia I have is after the news of Harvey Weinstein's history of sexual assaults and harassment fully broke in late 2017, 
Taylor Sheridan called the Weinstein Company, then interim chairman David Glasner, and gave them an ultimatum. The company would remove its logo and any production credits from the film for all post-theatrical airings and agree to turn down any future compensation from its release, and in return, there would be no other dealings. Glasner immediately agreed to Sheridan's demands. <laughs> yeah, because th there is no Weinstein Company logo at the beginning of this, right? No, there was I, in the I, theater. I know this because I have... I think I've mentioned this on air a few times. I've taken on the habit of booing any movie that has hmm. the Weinstein logo just at the beginning, just when it's on screen, just give it a hearty boo as long as Harvey Weinstein's name is on screen. It feels very nice. Now, I, I highly, I highly recommend doing it to anyone out there who does. Just out of curiosity. To. So you, you boo when the Weinstein company logo comes up at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Do you boo when his name appears in the credits? Yes. If I, if, if I'm paying attention to both, Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll boo for both. Do you boo, do you boo at Miramax as well then? No, I should. You're you're right. I, I probably should because isn't Miramax just a sort of like an earlier version of the Weinstein Company? Yes, Miramax got out by got bought out by Disney, and the so the 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 Weinstein brothers went off and started the Weinstein Company. Right. right. But, so I, but, I don't. But, Mir I, but Miramax is Miramax is when most of the allegations occurred. When he mm. had Miramax, okay, I'll add it to the list of things to boo. Okay, the shitty part, the shitty part about booing Miramax is Miramax is the name of his parents put together. Miriam, mm. Miriam and Max, those are his parents' names, and that's that's the name of their company. Well, if but, they didn't want to be booed, they shouldn't have created a piece of garbage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I only have one casting what if, and it's actually a pretty good one. Again. Not that I want Jeremy Renner out of his role because he's fantastic, but this is what happened. Jeremy Renner was the director's first choice for the lead role, but he was busy shooting Arrival at that time. So Taylor Sheridan approached Chris Pine, who had to drop out because of his role in Wonder Woman. Coincidentally, Renner's schedule opened up and was roped in for the role. Well, it makes perfect sense when you uh, remember that Chris Pine was on Hell or High Water, a movie that Sheridan wrote. Mm -hmm. um, and another another guy who is easy to write off as sort of a young pretty boy, yep. uh, but is also very talented. Chris Pine's a very talented actor. He uh, is. And I, I would have I liked to have seen what he would have done, and I think he would have done a good job. I think of course, Jeremy Renner wound up being an excellent choice, and I think he was probably the better choice. But I agree. Chris Pine would have also done very good I, work. I'll be honest. I, there's no way I would have considered Chris Pine for this role if I hadn't seen Hell or High Water. Yeah, having seen that movie, I think it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, all right, favorite quote. I've got seven. Okay. And I've got a long one to start us yeah. off. <laughs> okay. It's basically the whole fucking monologue <laughs> at, at Martin's house. Okay. Uh, I don't think I need to do the whole thing because it's long. So I'll just I'll just go with I'll just go with the last one. I'll I'll go with the last couple lines. Point is, Martin, you can't steer from the pain. If you do, you'll rob yourself. You'll rob yourself of every mem every memory of her, every last one, from her first step to her last smile. Kill them all. Just take the pain, Martin. You hear me? You take it. It's the only way you'll keep her with you. Mm -hmm. All right. Number two is from Corey as well. Wolves don't kill unlucky deer. They kill the weak ones. 
You fought for your life, Jane, and now you get to walk away with it. Fuck, I have I have seven quotes as well, and I don't think I have that one on there. <laughs> That's such a good quote. Number three is uh, a little back and forth between Jane and Ben. We said it before. Jane, should we wait for backup? Ben, this isn't the land of waiting for backup. This is the land of you're on your own. Number four is from Martin. Why is it that whenever you people try to help us, you always insult us first, huh? Uh, number five is uh, between Martin and Corey. Uh, this is at the first meeting shortly after the monologue he just gave. Um, Martin, you're driving this Fed around so she don't get lost. Is that it, Corey? It's what they asked me to do, not what I'm doing. Martin, then what are you doing? I'm a hunter, Martin. What do you think I'm doing? If you find out who did this, I don't care who it is. You understand me? Corey nods right where they stand. Martin, then get off my porch and go do it. Again, the unspoken things between people in Taylor Sheridan movies is so great. Like, like it would, <laughs> if Corey instead, when Martin asked him, uh, what are you going to do or what are you doing? And if Corey then said, well, you see, uh, this rape is very similar to the situation that my daughter went through. So what I'm going to do is hunt this guy down and kill him. If he had said something like that, of course, that would be ludicrous. Mm -hmm. But he, he plays it off. It's this unspoken thing between friends. I'm a hunter. What do you think I'm doing? It's perfectly written. I love it. All right. Number six is from Corey talking to Jane. How to gauge someone's will to live, especially in these conditions. But I knew that girl. She was a fighter. So no, no matter how far you think she ran, I can guarantee you she ran further. Yeah, and great the, one. And the last one is the last line of the movie. Martin, got time to sit with me. Corey, I ain't going nowhere. Oh, man. So so good. I, I, I love all of those. Um, I also, I think I said that I have seven before. I think I actually have six. One of these wound up, I accidentally put a favorite scene into the favorite quote section. So <laughs> I'm just going to erase that. Um, so yeah, so I have six. Um, one of, I think I managed to get all of them when we were talking about the movie. But the first one is uh, is Ben when he's uh, first introduced, or when he's introducing everyone to Jane. He says, this is Dan. He don't do nothing. And Dan says, we got the same job, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Such a funny line. Um, one of them you just said, I knew that girl. She was a fighter. So no matter how far you think she ran, I can guarantee you she ran further. Um, the number three for me is uh, is the big long quote, the monologue from Corey. Yeah. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read the part of it that I have written down, and okay. it just so happens to be the part that you didn't read. I think. <laughs> um, I got some good news and I got some bad news. Bad news is you're never gonna be the same. You're never gonna be whole. Not ever again. You lost your daughter. Nothing's ever going to replace that. Now, the good news is, as soon as you accept that and you let yourself suffer, you allow yourself to visit her in your mind and you'll remember all the love she gave you, all the joy she knew. Yeah, that's right before my part. Yeah, and then it literally cuts off and yours begins. Yeah. We're, we've got this, we, we, we're, we got this chemistry, man. We got this down. Beautiful. Uh, number four, this is the land of backup, Jane. This is the land of you're on your own. Uh, number five is... Uh, when Chip starts mouthing off to Corey about uh, about his dead daughter, and Corey slams his face into the glass in the cruiser and says, "That's not something you get to talk about." Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> chills. Uh, and then I think this is the conversation uh, that uh, it's a conversation in the hospital um, when you said, um, 
wolves don't kill unlucky deer. They kill the weak ones. That's not the quote that I have written down, mm. but I think it's in the same conversation. Luck don't live here. Luck lives in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Like that one. Awesome. I'm actually going to go my winner for best uh, quote of the movie is the closing line of the movie. Got time to sit with me. I ain't going nowhere. That's my favorite line. Man, I I can't argue with that pick, and I'm I felt like I was so thorough with this one. I feel like I really <laughs> went through the quotes and really got all the ones I wanted. But there was at least two in there for you. I was like, wish I would have had that one. <laughs> um, I think. Oh man, what am I gonna go with? That that monologue from Jeremy Renner is just so fucking good. I'm gonna go with that. Nice. Yeah, the take the pain monologue. Perfect. Uh, favorite scene. I've got seven. Uh, I've got uh, I've split this one up a little bit. So I've got Jane uh, meeting Martin and Annie, mm-hmm. and then I have Martin and Corey talking outside. So it's it, that that would be Corey's monologue, and then Martin telling Corey, you know, then get, get off, off my, my porch, get off my porch, and go do it. Yeah. Uh, the little feather house mm-hmm. scene, um, the visit to the oil rig with the gun standoff. The flashback, and then the gunfight, and then Corey and Martin with the face paint. Mm. Those are my seven. Okay, I have seven as well. I'm trying to figure out where we don't overlap because I I know which one I have that you don't. But okay, one, two. I'm making sure I'm not miscounting. Anyway, okay. So I have the uh, number one, take the pain monologue uh, between Corey and Martin. Okay. Number two, the Little Feather Residence. Yeah. Number three, the uh, banner diffusing the Mexican standoff. Number four, the flashback in the trailer. Number yeah. five, the gunfight in the snow. Number six, I don't think you said this one. I didn't. Uh, the the mountaintop revenge scene. Didn't. Nope. It's not in mine. And number seven, uh, death face. Yeah. So the difference is that you have you have Pete's death, where I have Jane meeting Martin. That's the difference. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. But other than that, six six out of seven overlap. Uh, I don't. I honestly don't know which one I want to pick. Yeah, this is tough. So I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Martin and Corey talking. At the beginning, where Mart or where Corey gives his monologue and Martin tells him to get off his porch and go do it. Yeah. No, no, I can't pick that one. <laughs> Why not? I don't know, cause I think what's my favorite scene? If I was if I was gonna watch one scene, you know what? I think I actually need. I'm I'm. It's gonna be Corey. It's gonna be the the scene with my favorite quote in it. It's Corey and Martin with the face paint. I love the ending of the movie. This is my favorite. This is my favorite scene. Yeah, you know what? Um, <laughs> shit, this is this is a really tough one. I think I am gonna go with the same, actually. And uh, it, some a, a line in the scene that we didn't touch on when uh, <laughs> when he says it's my death face. I think Corey says, "Is that right?" Or is that so? It just doesn't. Is kind of like skeptical of it. And Martin says, "I don't know. I I made it up." <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny and sad at the same time. He's yeah. like, I made it up. There's nobody around to teach me. He has, he has, he does not, for all of the suffering that Martin has gone through in his life in this reserve, no doubt, he doesn't even know how to grieve properly because of the lack of culture that yeah. he has left around him. It's, it's so sad. And so even though it's a sad scene, it's a, it's a touching one of just two friends being there for each other. So yeah, yeah that the, 
this is what the movie's about. This right here. So the death base scene. Awesome. All right, closing credits. Are there any Oscar worthy performances in this film? Uh I think certainly Jeremy Renner uh could have garnered a nomination. Um I well let's see what we have for, for lead actor. We would have had uh Gary Oldman winning this year. I didn't actually I, I own the Darkest Hour, but I uh, I haven't seen it. Uh Timothy Chalamet, Call Me By Your Name, Dan Lewis for The Phantom Thread, uh, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out, and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel Esquire, which I have not seen also. Yeah, that's the only one I haven't seen. I, I don't think I could knock out any of the four I have seen for Renner's performance here. So I haven't since I haven't seen Denzel, I can kick out Denzel for Jeremy. Yeah. <laughs> but I probably, if I watched Roman J. Israel Esquire, it's fucking Denzel, so I bet it's probably fucking amazing yeah it's probably spectacular so even though in general i think we can say uh, jeremy renner gives an uh, certainly an oscar nomination worthy performance um this particular year it's not going to happen for him i would love uh, oh so i would love to give gil birmingham mm-hmm. a, a, but he's in it so little and then looking at the best supporting actor i definitely can't give it to him over rockwell or harrelson Mm-hmm. probably can't really give it to him over Richard Jenkins in Shape of Water. No, he was spectacular. And you'll recall, I even have Michael Shannon over Richard Jenkins for Shape of Water. Yeah. I haven't seen All the Money in the World with Christopher Plummer, and I didn't watch The Florida Project with William Dafoe. So hmm. I don't think Gil Birmingham's quite worthy, but I think he's just below that. I, I, I'm just, I'm just such a fan of his performance. Yeah, if you were the Academy's lone voter, I think – he would probably get a nomination for that year. But from an objective perspe- uh, perspective, I think he, he gives an excellent performance, but not quite at that level. Yeah. How about uh, um, best supporting actor for James Jordan? That's interesting. Again, he's in it just a little bit too little. Uh, he, if we were going to pick someone for supporting actor from this movie, I'd probably pick him over Gil Birmingham, just barely different Mm -hmm. kind of performance. Mm -hmm. Certainly the kind of performance that the Academy likes a little bit more. Um, it would be close. I don't think, uh, I I've only seen three of these performances and I don't think I'd put him above any of those three, but he's very, very good. So again, much like Gil Birmingham, it would be borderline. Fair enough. What other aspects of the film were award worthy? Uh, well, apparently none, if you recall, uh, <laughs> it was not nominated for any Oscars. Um, so what other aspects do we have? I think the screenplay, uh, again, you said it was a very strong year. I'm looking at it, uh, get out <laughs> the big sick Ladybird, the shape of water and three billboards outside of Missouri. Uh, shit. <laughs> um, I have not seen the big sick. I know you really liked that movie, it's right? It's really good. Yeah. I'll be honest. Shape of Water? Shape of Water out, Wind River yeah. in. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that pick. Um, I, I think the Shape of Water's strengths lie more in the direction mm-hmm. and the and the acting and this like the set design. I don't remember being blown away by the script all that much. Yeah, it's a it's a perfectly fine script and it's it's a fairy tale, so it it, it can come off as a little bit formulaic for, for that reason. Uh, but. Yeah, I I have no problem with the Shape of Water screenplay. It's just yeah. Rivers is better. I agree. Uh, I don't think the cinematography is good enough to garner a nomination. Looking at the ones that year, mm, 
I can tell you right now with uh, Blade Runner 2049 and Dunkirk on there, uh, you're not knocking those two off. No. I wasn't that impressed with the Darkest Hour cinematography, but I did only see it once. Mudbound was really fucking good. And the Shape mm. of Water did look good, so I don't think I can I can put that in there. And then set yep. design, art direction. There wasn't mm. anything that great except for except for the fucking Little Feathers house. That was the only one that was kind of impressive. Yeah. And that's good, not good enough for me. It's funny. We're talk, we've talked for so long about how it uh, garners, or it really should have been nominated for some Oscars. But now that we're going through it item by item, it is it's very good in a lot of categories. But I don't know if it crosses the line to like Oscar winning in any of them so far. It may just be a, a, a product of the year that it's in, mm-hmm. but so far the only one that I feel conclusive about that it should have been nominated for was the screenplay. Screenplay? Well, <clears throat> yeah, I, I can't. I would love to give it to director, mm-hmm. but I can't. I don't think I could. Well, honestly, I could probably knock out Del Toro for winning. You think so, eh? I need to I need to revisit the Shape of Water. What about uh, I haven't seen Phantom Thread. What about Paul Thomas Anderson? Oh, that movie's really well crafted. I didn't like it, but it was really well crafted. Hmm. I would actually have no problem with Paul Thomas Anderson being out of there as well, but I don't. I still don't think I can give it to Shared. I think the screenplay is the one is the one place. Um, costume design, no makeup and hairstyling, no. Film editing, you could probably convince me. Uh-huh. I don't remember, like, the editing on Dunkirk, which is the winner. Uh, obviously, really well done. Other nominee, Baby Driver. You and I, like, that's... I I remember being devastated that Baby Driver didn't win that. Yeah. Uh, I still haven't seen I, Tonya. The editing in The Shape of Water. Oh, you haven't seen I, Tonya, hey? No, I still haven't I, seen I've it. I've seen it twice. It's pretty good. That's what I hear. Uh, Shape of Water and Three Billboards. I don't remember the editing in that all that much. Mm. I need to revisit that movie as well. Yeah, I think I've seen it. I think I watched it twice or three times around that Oscars, and then I've seen it once since, just recently. Yeah. So, yeah, there, there's there's definitely some stuff. It's just a, a, a strong year, a very strong year. Yeah, and, I was playing around with the idea of the uh, the score maybe in my head. Not that it's particularly strong. I was just trying to see if I could slot it in somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And again, we got John Williams, Hans Zimmer, Alexander Desplat. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> like, you're not really going to be able to slot it in anywhere. All right, uh, weak link of the film. I don't know. We've just gone through everything, and nothing. Or very few things we think should have won Oscars, but it seems like everything is at least very good. Um, we've, I don't think talked about any of the performances that were bad. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. It's just a very strong movie front I, to back. I got nothing. I, I think it's a, an incredible film. I don't think there's anything really weak about it. Uh, was this I anyone's agree. career highlight? I uh, don't think so. No. Uh, Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen are both in the MCU. Uh, arguably Taylor Sheridan, I guess. Mm, no, not as I'm pretty. Wasn't he Oscar nominated for writing Hell or High Water? 
Yeah, it's true. And but he, I, all all that I'm saying is that he directed this one as well. Yeah, but he's got Yellowstone. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, probably nobody's career highlight. It's a real shame. It's a, so far in our sort of uh, in our autopsy report of this movie, it just seems like it's really really good at everything. <laughs> it just kind of flies under the radar because it's not really the best at any one thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, MVP of the film. Taylor Sheridan and specifically the uh, the screenplay. It's uh, it's spectacular. The dialogue is great and the story is uh, really riveting. Couldn't agree more. What will be this film's legacy? Uh, as one that kind of flew under the radar for a lot of people, I think. I, I recommend this movie to people who I think are film fans, people who would enjoy it. It's, it's a fresh take on sort of a uh, vigilante justice movie. Um, it's kind of like it's like a western in the snow <laughs> basically mm-hmm. um it's it's a it's a great time and i think its legacy will be uh, a movie that was sorely overlooked and a movie that got nominated for zero oscars this film's legacy is the exact definition of what we actually should have said at the top of the show this is the very definition of a hidden gem definitely uh that will be this film's legacy would you watch this movie again damn straight would you recommend this movie to friends you bet. Hells yeah. Sam, your final thoughts on Wind River. I'm so happy we finally got a chance to talk about this movie, Manny. It, now that we've talked about it here, it, I'm beginning to fully grasp just how appropriate it was that we talked about this movie for our anniversary. This is a movie that is not only excellent, but it's also seminal to our friendship. It's been very important to our podcast. Uh, it, it is a movie that was very important in my appreciation of film and my development as a film nerd and snob uh it's it's one that i find myself revisiting time and time again and being blown away by it and being amazed that it didn't get more recognition than it did because it's really that good um it is uh going to continue to be one that flies under the radar and one that i continue to recommend to people um it's helmed by excellent performances um, which is not hard to do all the time when you have the brilliant script of Taylor Sheridan, a man who uh, is, in my opinion, and I think in your opinion as well, developing into one of the modern masters. Well, I don't know if he's there yet, but he's certainly on his way. Um, so we will uh, we'll hopefully see more from him. We do have another Sheridan movie coming out this year, um, a name that I don't have in front of me right now, but I will. you can bet your ass I will be there. I'm very excited for it. Oh yeah, you mentioned it before. What is it again? Um, what's? It. Yeah, I can't. It's it takes place in Montana. I tried to not those, read anything those else. Those who wish me dead. Those who wish me dead. Yeah, I think it may have been one of the ones that was a casualty of the uh, pandemic mm. that uh, that got pushed back. Yeah, it's... or it may have just been a twenty one release anyway. I'm not sure. It's coming out in May in the UK. Mm-hmm. Angelina Jolie, John Bernthal. I shouldn't even be looking at the uh, cast because it could have a surprise cameo again. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh, there's a promotional video. Get off of my screen. Um, <laughs> yeah, Wind River is the very definition of a hidden gem. The people I've recommended to watch it that have ended up seeing it have all told me what an incredibly great movie it was and how glad they were they watched it. It's a harrowing film with exceptional performances from Gil Birmingham, James Jordan, 
and Jeremy Renner, and very good performances from Elizabeth Olsen and Graham Greene. It's a very entertaining movie, well done, well crafted, just happens to be released in a very strong year, hence the running joke of it having zero Oscar nominations. The one thing we actually forgot to mention is we went through all the technical awards. I would have nominated this for Best Picture. I could have taken out The Darkest Hour or The Post even and put this in there. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's so funny. I didn't even mention that. But, yeah, uh, looking at Best Picture, um, Phantom Thread I haven't seen, but I could take it out (laughs) because of that. The Post, I did initially have that as my number 10 for 2017. I have since substituted that for Lady Bird. Um, I think I could definitely substitute the post out, like without losing too much sleep. Um, I need to rewatch that one too. From a personal preference perspective, um, I mean, there's a lot of movies I would take out over this, but I mean, I remember being at the time kind of underwhelmed by Dunkirk, not really getting what the hype was. Mm-hmm. And I say that as a Nolan fanboy. I've since rewatched it and have developed a little bit more of an appreciation for it. It's a, it's an insanely well crafted film. Uh, it's it's really really good but the the story of wind river is significantly more riveting than the story of dunkirk Mm. um i would i would even make an argument for substituting it for dunkirk but i would understand anyone who is a like heavy air quotes here film purist who uh who wants to leave dunkirk in but I, i would have no problem substituting it there yeah i'm with you there sam what did you give wind river as a rating it's funny there was a there was a moment coming into this movie where i was like is this as good as i remember is this like have we just kind of hyped this movie up in our minds like is it actually like a four is it actually like a like a decent movie that i just like has kind of gained on this legend status because manny and i talk about it so much and then i rewatched it and i was like holy fuck if there was ever a five in a movie <laughs> this is it it is, this is just what I enjoy about watching movies. This movie is so fucking good, and it's a five. Yeah, it's a five for me. And I was the same way. I was like, did I have I hyped up this movie too much? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I wa- I wa- when I loaded up this movie and sat down to watch it, I'm like, I'm like oh, okay, this is a four. Mm-hmm. And then as I watched it, I was like, this is a five. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I'll, I'll be honest. This was a four until they get to the oil rig. Mm. From the oil rig visit, the standoff, the flashback, the gunfight, Pete's death, Martin and Corey elevates it immediately to a five for me. So mm-hmm. the basically the first two-thirds of the movie, it's a four. And then the last yep. part of the movie skyrockets it to a five for me. Beauty. I think that's fine analysis. Awesome. Sam, what's going on next week? Next week... I am very excited for this. These are always the episodes that you and I are excited for. Manny, it, 2020 was a rough year. <laughs> it was a tough year for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. I don't know if you heard, there was this pandemic going on. <laughs> there was a whole thing. There were stories written about it. Pushed back a lot of movies, but we still did get a number of excellent movies in 2020. And next week, we will be talking about our 10 favorite movies of 2020. Uh, We do this every year. Manny and I will both be releasing our top 10 lists. We'll go over the rules of engagement next week. But my God, these are the can't miss episodes. These are the ones that we have the most fun preparing for. I think these are, these are the reasons that we make these podcasts. These year interview episodes are always so, 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 so fun. We've been doing our homework. We've been doing our research. 
top 20 or sorry, top 10 of 2020. I'm not going to bite off more than I can chew here. <laughs> <laughs> top 10 of 2020 coming up next week. Don't miss it. They're so much fucking fun. Manny, I cannot wait. Cannot wait to talk about this with you. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it as well. For those of you out there listening, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. If you give us a five-star rating and a positive review, it does increase the profile of our podcast. allows more people to find us. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manny Movie Podcast. Once again, it's our third anniversary, and I'd like to thank Sam in particular for making the last three years so enjoyable. And to you, our listeners, uh, you guys are very loyal, and we truly appreciate you, all of you, so very much. Um, we've been having a great time doing this podcast and we look forward to another three years for the Samuel. Yeah, I, oh. I, I just, I just want to echo it right back. We had a big love fest right off the beginning, but I just want to say, uh, to Manny, thank you for being, uh, just a, the best co-host a man could hope for and a great friend. And I'll, uh, we'll, we'll be back here next year talking about the same stuff. Yep. But it's uh, it's always always a treat and always a highlight. Awesome. So for the Samuel Manuel movie podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Happy Sam and Manny anniversary. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.